Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And Michael, you can call us the front of the plane because for one last time in season five, we are all business to begin with. You can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. You can also follow either of your hosts on Twitter or Instagram. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas, or if you'd like to follow Michael Hamlet, you can do just that at Michael Hamlet. And um, you can get this podcast on Apple, where we would love you to subscribe or follow. Uh, if you even use that app anymore, because I've heard it's full of holes. Uh, if that's no good, you can maybe find us on Spotify, where you can follow on Overcast, where I believe you can subscribe on Acast, of course, our host, where you can stream or subscribe. You can do both, including it on the link that we post every Friday on the app Podcast Horseman Twitter account. You can even get us on Amazon, and bless them, I've thrown pelters their way this season, but, you know, people have had a lot of stuff over last year through Amazon. Just pay your staff a little bit better and everything will be fine. Maybe pay a few taxes while you're at it. But keep your podcast free, because we are grateful for all the people that download it on there too. Um, yes, you can get Podcast Horseman pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. And ordinarily, we would be asking for one last quote tweet. Uh, this season, we've been uh, dishing out stars in our Hollywood Talk with him for quote tweets. Thank you very much to everybody that has shared the podcast. We've managed to get ourselves a small, modest, but very pleasing spike in listeners this season, what you think might be down to the uh, the quote tweets, the people where you've been sharing the podcast with your followers. Thank you for that. We will be returning to season six for the final season, of course, of Bojack Horseman and indeed Podcast Horseman to stars for five star reviews. So with the 16 episodes you have remaining in season six, if you want a chance at getting a star on the Hollywood Talk of Fame and you haven't done yet, get yourself over to your podcast app of choice. Leave us a five star review, say something nasty, say something nice, whatever you like, but put them five stars on there and you stand a chance at getting your name read out on the show and getting your very own star. Take a look at our Instagram account or our Twitter to take a look at the wonderful stars that Adam Nicholas has crafted for people over the last five seasons. Not one of them coming today, but normal service will be resumed next week. Indeed it shall. And one day, everyone, when this podcast mysteriously disappears off the face of the earth, you'll know that it's all because Michael Hamlet poked the bear that is Amazon just <laughs> one too many times, and they finally came crashing down and made us pay double taxes somehow as well, <laughs> which will be wonderful. Nevertheless, pay taxes. Taxes are there for everybody, not just for the little guy. Anyway, uh, normally we would go and do the Netflix synopsis for this week's episode, but of course, 
This is a season five recap, not a season five episode uh, review. So we won't be doing that. What we will be doing, though, is going through a usual breakdown. This is always a little bit more loose, we like to say, when we do this. But we do still have a bit of a roadmap where we'll just go through all of the characters within the show one by one, see where they started the season, where they ended up, and all of the in-between along the way, including their most notable moments and presumably for at least one of our characters, their lowest moments, to say the least. Mm. And on top of that, of course, as always, we'll give you the best of the horse and arounds from season five, where we go through each individual episode of the season, and I pick my favourite or the most relevant or the most interesting uh, horse and around little tidbit from each episode. Always good fun, this, Michael. Always good fun. Mm. A little bit like, a little bit more chill, shall we say, than usually yeah. through structure by structure. Absolutely. And I suppose like this season, especially, we've had some monsters. Often we tell people to sort of prep themselves for episode 11. Um, the opener is normally quite strong. There's, you know, the finale is obviously dealing with some big issues. There's been a lot of that. There's been some we've we've put three through the ringer this season. Bojack himself has been wading through treacle and our listeners have been doing just the same through our particularly long reviews. So of all the seasons where the recap is quite nice to take a bit of a breather on some of the heavier issues, this is perhaps a, a bit of a skim read through some of those very deep, dark dives we did earlier in the season. Indeed, but I guess it's just more of a testament to the show itself that the further this podcast has gone along, I would imagine if you're looking at those run times of our podcast, they have slowly <laughs> but surely increased because the amount of detail and the level of quality in there is so big and continues to grow with each episode of each new season that, of course, you have to spend more time talking about it. So I look forward to finishing this podcast in particular in five hours' time. And, <laughs> and then we can go to bed when it's like, what, three in the morning or something? That'll be great. It'll be daylight. It's always daylight now. Whenever we finish any work, it's always daylight again. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just the life we've chosen. I feel like that would be a line from Bojack somewhere, but in a real dark context somehow. It's always daylight. It's always daylight. It's the, the subhead into the unfinished season two of Filbert after the missiles hit and it was all just scorched earth. It's always daylight now, which I guess is quite a nice segue, isn't it? Because ordinarily we would start a conversation on Bojack, but can we really talk about Bojack without talking about Filbert? The way in which the characters were brought together this season, the way that Bojack was constantly costumed in the style of Phil, but the way that the show over the course of season uh, five chose not to kind of clue you in as the, as the episodes went on as to which you were watching. Were you watching a scene with Bojack and Gina or were you watching a scene with Philbert and Sassy? thought the way they played with that this season was the like defining characteristic of Bojack season five in spite of everything that happened in spite of the way that his relationship with Gina broke down because of his relationship with drugs breaking down again. Um, I guess death is a big issue for Bojack in season five because when people weren't dying, such as Beatrice, he had people in the show, in the fiction of Philbert, dying. His wife that he strangled, which would later be manifested in the form of the real-life strangulation of Gina. The not dead, but fraying relationship with Hollyhock after he worked so hard to craft that in season four and of course the fact that Philbert in itself as we would later learn I guess is a weekly procedural murder story with a loom like a sort of a, a lingering thread throughout about death as well um death of a show even where in the penultimate season of Bojack Horseman itself it was hard this season to get away from the looming spectre of death which to be fair has kind of been chasing Bojack since we started following him all those seasons ago yeah, I think we've had the very literal 
like lingering of death since Sarah Lynn's passing. Mm. Uh, and since then, it's been a number of different situations that are cr- like building up and building up in the head of Bojack. I think you, when you mentioned there about the like sort of weekly episodic nature of Philba, I feel mm. like every week in the episodes of Bojack, the actual show that we're watching, um, he's kind of found a way to specifically with the female relationships in his life, there seems to have been that one week, this one's been damaged. The next week, this one's been damaged. And slowly but surely between Diane, Hollyhock, uh, Princess Carolyn, obviously the actual death of his mother, like each one of them has taken an absolute hammering this season in various different ways. And kind of like the cornerstones of a guy who we thought was maybe beginning to turn the corner at the end of the last season. Uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, the stuff of Hollyhock, despite a bit of a dodgy ending initially, has kind of made him a more well-rounded person who was sort of developed empathy and understanding for others a bit more. And then, it, then, funnily enough, Hollywood had its way of just getting to his head, specifically being the lead star of the show, Philba. Yeah, it's funny, the recap, like we discussed in the recap and indeed at the end of season four, it will... Happy endings are tough to come by in Bojack and especially for Bojack, the character. But it was the closest he was probably going to come to one was that the, maybe things were on the right track with Hollyhock. Certainly things were back fortuitously, as they always are, on the right track for his career in terms of Philbert getting made and it looking like him having a bit of direction. But in something that we were told very explicitly at the end of the season about there being no good and bad guys, it was time for Bojack to get it out of his system that it is all about him, that there is somehow a greater force, more powerful than him. He will be defined by the decisions that he makes. And for all that good start and for all that decent run-up, it would be another case of Bojack being defined by the decisions that he was making. Um, the drugs that, he, that ultimately start to consume his psyche and take him away from that, like almost like on a light level playing field he had for a while at the start of Philbert. All of that was informed because of his vanity creeping back to the surface and in what if you remember wanting to do his own stunt or at very least want to find a way where he wouldn't be thought of as a coward by his colleagues and um, because if you remember in the in the light bulb scene episode one he stands nude in front of everybody that he feels like now he's become the big man the, the alpha on set again and all of a sudden like his vanity can't cope with the fact that he might not be the alpha when it comes to doing a stunt so he is flung from a building which causes him to need to take painkillers, which in turn causes a spiral in addiction. It's rooted in his negative qualities, but we all have them. We all have them. And Bojack didn't learn soon enough, unfortunately, that it was time, despite Todd's conversation with him, that should have been a reckoning. Like, you can't just keep doing these things. You know, that should have been his reckoning at the time. But what he failed to sort of acknowledge until it was too late and Diane basically put it in front of him at the very end of the season was that, you're going to do these bad things, but you've got to try and do more good. You've got to just keep trying. You're going to do the things, ideally make more of them good than bad. And that was where Bojack started to slip in like the first half of the season. And we kind of saw the ramifications later on. Mm. I feel like you could probably describe the whole thing as, <laughs> you can describe the whole thing as him going from Brojack Horseman, the brother, <laughs> the brother of Hollyhock who was doing all right. I think we can all mm. agree big reveal at the end of season four who was on his way to oh no Jack Horseman where <laughs> everything had gone spectacularly wrong and like just watching the downfall this season has been particularly difficult I know we've seen him do you know 
the, the death of Sarah Lynn is is still, I think, up there. I mean, mm. it has to be. It's the death. Of, it's the death of a human being. Um, but obviously, the fact that they really push her up the line with the Gina stuff, where it was physically him doing the damage. Like, yes, we have seen the way that Bojai Horseman can affect other people and have an indirect negative effect on other people. And mm. I feel like the massive, the important quote that we're going, probably going to come back to a couple of times in this uh, season recap is Bojack Horseman when he talks about that he is the one who has been affected the most by the actions of Bojack Horseman. Yeah. The actual truth of it is it's not even close. And you think like Sherilyn literally died. Gina has fit. Gina's the the one though where it was the most. It's quite literally the most hands-on, like physical damage that he's done to another character. I think in this show, I certainly hope so. Otherwise, I obviously wasn't paying attention. <laughs> that quote this season of all seasons, I think, is particularly fitting as well. Like, I'm not downplaying or undermining the death of Beatrice. Um, it's you know, Fritero is an episode that you know we try to cover just by replicating a version of it because it, it sort of felt almost like a mean to try and review and pick apart. But like the death of his mother is obviously a very, it's like a significant moment in Bojack's life. But this of all seasons feels like the one time where the other characters, the ancillary characters are like on the precipice of bigger life challenges and bigger, like Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter are going through a divorce uh, and all the sort of the ways in which that spin off, and you know, we'll get to that in the discussions of their characters. Princess Carolyn is like dealing with a breakup that came as a result of uh, disagreements and the unfortunate inability to have children together. So, is looking into adoption, which would like transform her life beyond recognition, should it go on. Um, Gina is finally making it. She has accepted her life as a mortgage paying actor, but not as a star. And yet it's going to come good for her finally over to what's Bojack's line in the last episode or the penultimate episode where he says, hey, you're going to hear a lot more from that 39 year old actor or something like that. And it's just that's the reality of a, of a woman in Hollywood like Gina who's been forced to kind of just suck it up and take these like middling roles because it just thought like that stardom was never going to come. Um, Bojack's just like stumbled ass backwards into a show. Things are pretty good, like professionally at least. Things are pretty good being Bojack Horseman. The death of his mother is something he'll probably never be able to fully posit, but she was difficult in his life. So theoretically, like, you know, as he said it, like she's dead and everything's worse now. But it was it was in a way that he kind of mentally started to prepare for for years, decades even, maybe. Um, and it just seems that that particular quote about nobody's been more affected. Of all the seasons, this is where that particular quote sounds the furthest up his horse's ass than like in the in the prior seasons where he was dealing with the death of a friend that he was obviously partially responsible for. Twice, actually, the death of Sarah Lynn, the death of Herb, you know, yeah. like two major deaths that he felt like tangentially tied to. Not this year, like should have been smoother sailing for him this year. Uh, and yet he's kind of like put the blinkers on to the significant life events and struggles of others around him and let himself fall into his own sort of spiraling misery once again. Yeah, I think there's an interesting, um, like a like a pattern to follow here because, as you mentioned there, with Herb, Herb's death then Sarah Lynn's death, it feels like yes, as we find out in this season, obviously he had it did experience the death of his own father, um, Butterscotch, despite the sort of rather ridiculously stupid nature of it, um, <laughs> the death 
while attempting a duel but not paying attention because he wanted to know whether the person had actually read <laughs> read the book before reviewing it and then fell and sustained injuries <laughs> from when he hit the floor. But I feel like because of his like sort of fractured relationship with his dad, he didn't probably that. Yes, that's a father dying. That's one thing. But I feel like that might not have hit him as much as what the Herb death did. And I feel like Herb ended up being a father figure to him in that mm. regard. And he had to physically go through that, didn't he? Bojack went through it almost step by step. He visited Herb when he had the cancer and watched him. They fell out and he didn't get that forgiveness he was looking for. And he got left with that. Sarah Lynn kind of slots in as like a daughter figure, like whether it was obviously from the, the horse and around show itself or just in real life. I know they ended up having a weird relationship where they slept together and all that kind of thing. But that was that elder man, younger woman kind of relationship there that could be, you know, you could put it in the daughter category. Then his yeah. actual mother is the one who bites the dust this time around, despite the fact Hollyhock doesn't die, but the relationship with her almost does because of um, Beatrice in season four. Um, and the dark, the, the hole that all the horsemen are born with ends up sort of infecting another person who might not and should not have been affected by it in Hollyhock. Like I say, not a death in here in that department, but as close to destroying a relationship before managing to redeem it. And I just feel like these have all added up one by one, the sort of tombstones, if you like, of Bojack, the ball of people around Bojack. Not too dissimilar, actually, to that hallucination he had in season one where he's staring at the graves of his mother, his father, and himself. If you remember rightly, mm -hmm. while he's having that mad drug trip in the episode 11 from... Um, season one yeah it's almost like this this is like five seasons later and we're getting like they're, they're just they've just mounted up to a point where he can't handle it anymore and very specifically them putting this at episode six right slap bang in the middle of the season or to go here's a turning point for you like because in, in those earlier episodes one two to five we're sort of seeing the rise of his arrogance and the vanity taking over again as his sort of star rises doesn't it because the show's sort of doing well. There's a lot of press to go with it. We've got Bojack the Feminist where he's getting the attention in the media again and trying to find a way to spin it in his favour. And that seems to be, well, the Amelia Earhart story, you could argue, is where it all starts to go wrong when Princess Carol isn't there. And then yeah. episode six is the one where it's all going to be bad from this one on. <laughs> Pretty much, I think we can agree. On Bojack the Feminist, um, there's probably no better character than Bojack with which to discuss, obviously, a massive prevailing theme in the season. It was, um, somebody will fact check me and correct me on this, it was Alyssa Milano's tweet, I think in October 2017, where she called for every woman that felt that she'd been a victim or survivor of sexual assault to tweet Me Too. And it was kind of like the, the crystallised formal, I guess, like naming of a movement that would only grow throughout 2017 and 2018 specifically. And this was the first full season of Bojack that could respond directly to that through the writing, through the characters, through the, the choices. And we had, of course, Bojack the Feminist, which was a very, like, on the nose way of tackling the subject. But it's something that Bojack was trying to talk about, you know, all the way back to season one. Like, we, we've talked about episodes that kind of, like, predated it as a movement where it was almost like you felt that writers within the writers' room um, yeah. were, trying, were trying to get the message out before it was quite as prevalent, before like us proletariat in the mainstream were quite aware of the extent of how bad the problem was. Now, like the shoe was on the other foot. Now Bojack, it, it wasn't, Bojack was never there to be smug and there to say, we were talking about this years ago, but now there was a different kind of freedom where they could 
they could hit things harder than they had before. It didn't just have to be one episode where they were trying to make a very critical point about something. It was something that could run through the entire course of the season, specifically around the making of a television show. So Diane's involvement as a, um, a, a sort of a, a member of the staff on set and Philbert as somebody that could like try, like in she's there theoretically to try and actually provide a vital female voice in the Philbert writing room Instead, Flip McVicker sees her as like a perfect box ticking exercise as if to deal with the ongoing pressure mm. brought on by society, which again feels like it would have been something that was happening a lot in 2018, like first wave post Me Too. Um, it nailed it, of course, like, of course it did, of course it did, because it was nailing it before a lot of other mainstream outlets were nailing it. It was nailing it before a lot of us were fully aware of the horrors and the sheer extent of what we'd later learn and we're, we're probably all very glad not glad to see, but glad to maybe understand and glad for like a lot predominantly of women, but generally of victims of survivors to be able to talk a bit more about what happened to them in their lives. Um, this was a great opportunity for Bojack. I think they took it really well to just like address that theme more head on than they ever had done before. It, it like few shows needed to do it less because you already believed in Bojack Horseman, but I really feel like they nailed it, especially in season five. Yeah, you made a good point there about early seasons. I think. They had the stories. You can imagine there's obviously everybody. A lot of people had stories and sort of examples of what's happened within the industry, mm. but perhaps didn't have the vehicle to really express them properly and safely, I think, more importantly, because you've got to yeah. remember that if you're attached to these shows, if you're yeah, like, well, I think we might have touched on this actually in an earlier season, like the voice actors have to, their voice is going to these characters. They've got to mm. feel brave enough. If they're going to do a takedown of, something in, in Hollywood, in real life, through the medium of Bojack Horseman, that's on their CV, do you know what I mean? That's like... The, the power, power, power is how this has happened, isn't it? Power is how yeah, all of Of course, happened. so you can't, you can imagine, like it's a conscious choice for the people who've sort of signed up for the show, because if you're going to go after these shows, then people are, before the movements had started, then I'm sure there was plenty of people who were taking note and saying, okay, well, we're going to blacklist X person and Y person and keep them out of it, so they don't mm -hmm. start spreading the news, and then of course, we finally do get the breakthrough. And I feel like Bojack Horseman could change from being a show that was attempting to sort of push us in the right direction of these things without having the doors being completely open to suddenly being like, okay, the gloves are off now. We've got more than enough um, ammunition in, in terms of stories, whether they've been experienced by their staff or mm -hmm. within, or they know stories within the industry that maybe they weren't letting the, like lifting the lid off and now the doors are open and now as you say this is the first season where we really get a chance to see the writers go for it. it it must have been a case of this is now on the table like hugely on the table if it wasn't already now we can do this and incredibly and of course it's incredibly they've absolutely smashed it because that's what this show does. Bojack Horseman yeah. is literally better than the show you like for this exact reason because they find a way to tackle these issues but across a huge different scope of like mm. various versions of the issues that we've seen and various uh, characters and perspectives. And I think most importantly seeing, like, yes, we've heard from a lot of the sort of victim standpoint uh, in terms of you can see how the females have suffered at the hands of the men, but you can also really see which they do well with Bojack, I think, just how a certain character ends up getting to the point where they are making these kind of terrible decisions and terrible choices and put themselves in a corner through 
PR through their need to send Kane to keep mm. themselves squeaky clean or whatever in the eyes of Hollywood, that they start making the sacrifices of these smaller people down below them. And then you see how the, the gears grinding and the, the need for production to continue on these shows and the money that's involved. You see these factors. It's like when you watch The Wire. You see they'll break it down from you from the very top how the, the very big people affect the very little people. And that's why it's not as simple as, why don't we just stop doing this thing? This is really easy. Well, the problem is there's multiple tiers above you which control the strings and the like the multitude of factors that will stop you from being able to just like affect change. Whereas now, something like a movement like the Me Too movement changed all that completely. Mm. Suddenly it was fair game and suddenly everybody was able to do that. And we see it in this show wonderfully. And I think Bojack really is a good example of just just how messed up Hollywood can make a person and someone who operates within a clearly like broken system. It's probably, and this is only like a thought that's come to me kind of as we're discussing this, it's probably a meta commentary on what the show would have been desperate to spend more time on once but couldn't and now can, that they use Anna Sponacopa and now obviously is Vance Wagoner's representation to play a recording of what Bojack had said previously. There yeah. is something metatextual about that as being like, that thing on tape is not something that she's producing to us the first time. That's something from an actual episode. That's a that's an experience we lived with. We lived yeah. with Bojack in the solitude of a of a hotel room with a journalist revealing something terrible that he'd done to a female journalist about another young girl that ultimately was landed in the hands of his female assistant who was tasked with making that problem go away, which was sinister enough at the time. But that was seen as a, a single story for this episode, you know, to, to carry on Bojack's press tour um, for Secretariat, that, that they chose that to bring back when it was in the conversation more, when it was part mm. of it's Anna does that with Diane in the car, doesn't she? Yeah. And Diane's questioning herself as a feminist. She's wondering how Anna can do that as an as another woman. And there becomes this um shades of grey discussion, I guess, about the challenges of being a woman in Hollywood and in that industry or in for that matter, you know, we often certainly use Hollywood as a caveat. I guess it's very much in any industry, the world, you know, like the the choices that the pressures that are put on women by other women, by society about the type of feminist you are, like the idea that this should be that this one set way of doing things. And it, like it just I think it the, in the scene itself, it uses moral codes really well. But the fact they've got that in the chamber that they made, mm. this is part of the television show. This is not a plot device that actually happened. We lived it. And now we're getting to see them getting to use that again. It's not they're not patting themselves on the back, but they're it's again, it just goes back to the fact that they can like this. This was already they'd already done this. They'd already like like approach this subject to be able to revisit in the first place. They're not just like sloppily thrown into the plot because they realize that's what society is looking for. It's not, it's very much, I remember this at the time, um, what will insert show X do as a response to me too? Almost mm -hmm. as if it was a theme, almost as if it was like, oh, this is this year's theme. You've, you've got yeah. to cover me too somehow. And that threatens to trivialize it. Bojack was never going to do that because it was already approaching the subject matter. Yeah, it wasn't just doing it when it was suddenly in vogue. It was like, we were already doing this before it even happened. The other great thing that I think that highlighted, just not to continually spend all our time talking about Bojack, of course, but the other thing I felt like this whole season did really well, particularly with that, is that it becomes a reminder that 
of how easy it is to be complicit in all of this because yeah. what are we? They turned the mirror around to us in this season. Many times like we've seen Bojack stare at his own reflection in this show. Yeah. Like how quickly you realise, oh God, I've been sat here the whole time. I've been sat here the whole time. I've said nothing to anybody about mm-hmm. Bojack. I know all these terrible things Bojack's done. And I've, not, <laughs> I've not said, obviously you can't, but in your head, the whole point here is you have stayed with the show because you are you are essentially still somehow somewhere at the very bottom of you rooting for this horse to turn good. And therefore, you are starting to see with your own eyes that not there aren't that this goes back to it, the good guys and bad guys thing. as just guys. And whether or not they're doing good things or bad things, that is not doesn't change whether they're good or bad people. It's just the things that the normal quote unquote guys do. That was it. And I feel like that reminder of you have all sat here and you've stayed with the show and you've stayed with this horse. You're as bad as he is. And I think that's really important. And if I know it might not, you know, depending on what level you're watching the show at, might not have been totally absorbed, but that is it, isn't it? You are completely and utterly complicit because you still want this horse to come out good. And if this was a real life person, the question is, would you still be, you know, associated with them? And I highly doubt you would, but in this particular situation, you can understand why others might if they've become so attached to an actual real life. Imagine how much <laughs> you'd like this. Imagine how much you'd like and want this horse to turn good. I say like, you know, we know he's a piece, super piece of shit, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Imagine if that's a real life friend of yours. And that's a that's a great sort of question to raise in the heads of people, isn't mm. it? It's, I remember in the episode review specifically that, that moment that we both kind of confronted in our notes of, Oh God, it was us. Like, yeah. it's, it's an amazing thing that they put on you Incredible. to suddenly have to take. Oh my God, it was us all along. Like it's it's really quite remarkable to do it. I would say that unlike Bojack, I've never come face to face with a 50 foot inflatable version of myself, but I once saw a blimp promoting the Lego movie, so that wouldn't be true. Um, <laughs> just you wait till your next birthday, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just add it. It's a fine. I'll take a cut out. Um, but yeah, Bojack um, rounding out his season, of course, um, things end on a broadly positive note because he's going into rehab. Um, it's a, one of the biggest steps that character has made um, in the show thus far. Mm-hmm. And yet that is a result of a phenomenal like final episode of the season. Um, standout moment of that particular episode, of course, was uh, Gina being the one. Again, it falls to a woman in a moment of a decision that she explains. Brilliant dialogue. She basically explains to the viewer how this must go for so many women, which yeah. is Bojack has strangled her. He should face consequences, but she will not have her career defined by the actions of this dickhead man. Um, Bojack still addled with guilt, wants to have it out there. But why does he want to have it out there? He wants to have it out there for him. He doesn't want to have it out there for her. Mm. And it, she insists on grabbing some of that power back. It is ludicrous that a woman with makeup covering the strangle marks on her neck should be the one trying to grab power back in a situation. But that's the that's the draw that women get, isn't it, unfortunately? Like, that's... I just think that's sort of, like, brilliantly sort of portrayed in that one single conversation between these two, like, estranged colleagues, estranged lovers. Like, it's all broken down so quickly, and Gina's got to take control of her career before it spirals and she becomes a victim of the Bojack Horseman curse. Um, all of that, as awful as all of that is... Because he's a man in Hollywood, because he's rich, because he's incredibly privileged, all of that becomes Bojack's, I don't know, like exit path to something better, like rehab, we don't know, obviously, but like the fact he's doing it is presented to us as 
an, a giant leap in the right direction for him. Like something he has to do. Diane puts it to him. She's not. It's not that stereotypical. It's not Michael dragging Meredith in the office. It's not yeah. that stereotypical checking somebody in while they were effectively, but sometimes literally, I guess, straight jacketed. It's this whole thing of Diane saying, "Well, look, get back in the car." But is it really working for you over there, or do you want to try mm-hmm. something else instead? It's it's presented to him as matter of factly as that, and he has to assess. No it's not been working like this for me for the longest time, time to try something else. And that's something else at very least for now is presented as having some potential. Yeah. The, the fact that he's done it for this long and it has only got progressively worse and worse is very notable. And the fact that we do see him end up going to, you know, going off to rehab at the end of the season suggests finally the big change that needed to happen has has occurred, but it's taken him so long to get there. And it's, the him trying to like alleviate himself of all the sort of stress and bad feeling of it by he wants to do the expose here, doesn't he? He wants Diane to sort of take him down and he wants it all to come up. But ultimately, that's to get the guilt and bad feeling off his own chest, like you say, not to help anybody else. Again, it's rooted in the obsession with self. And I think the important thing here becomes the message of no, your penances. You just have to shut your mouth and you have to live with it. That's what your penance is. You have to do that. And mm. between the combination of that being the sort of end note, because otherwise we're just going to see the same Vance Wagner thing, does the apology, and then three months later he's back working again. And that's all that would happen. Gina's career defined by somebody who tried to strangle her once. She's the girl who Bojack Horseman once tried to strangle to death or whatever. Um, and the fact that he's now, that's, what he has to do. Sometimes you just got to get on with it. That's you have to just carry that with the rest of your life and you have to learn to deal with that. And as a result, him going to, to rehab feels like the best possible way to arm himself to actually do that when he realizes, because along with that, there's a few other names in his ledger that he's probably going to have to face up to at some point. Mm. Um, it's Diane that takes him to rehab, of course. It's, it's, very, is. it's very fitting that a season that started with her needing to look out for her and her alone ends with her driving Bojack Horseman to rehab. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of the um, the long and short of Diane's season five, I guess. Um, she literally takes herself away to try and get over the end of season four, where we learn that she's going to go through a very sad uh, separation from Mr. Peanut, but they're going to get divorced, which they judge as the right call, but it doesn't make it any less upsetting for the characters to have to live through. Um Mr. Peanut Butter moves on fairly quickly. I well, guess we'll talk a little bit about him in a minute because he does kind of have his own separate arc a little bit away from Diane at points in this season, um, which doesn't help her, of course, in her uh, attempts to try and get over the fact that he's suddenly immediately in a new relation with Pickles, as he is wont to do, as we've learned through his past. So she has no choice but to try and find herself by herself in a place that often doesn't feel for her. Um, there is a period of settling in the form of the job that she gets on the set of Philbert. Um, where she's able to gradually get a bit of autonomy. But crucially, again, the relationship with Bojack becomes this constant swinging pendulum in Diane's life. Um, Sometimes she wants and needs nothing to do with Bojack because it's just not worth it. But then other times she's able to acknowledge that there's a certain kinship. Um, They're not just the same. She will not have that they are alike, them two. But she does acknowledge the kinship and she kind of sees that friendship for what it is as she acknowledges outright in the final episode where she does take him to rehab. She compares him to the best friend that screwed her over, but the one that she loved and the one that she wanted to look after. And she believes Bojack to be in that same league, somebody that she will do her best to take care of because if she didn't, she wouldn't be better than so much of Hollywood. And she is like, she is 
but often she doesn't feel that way. Um, I wonder if this season, as much as anyone was an exploration of Diane, because she was single, was this the first time that she was made to ask the questions of herself in a way that was going to question her own mental health? I think previously we've seen a lot of Diane asking those difficult questions and feeling like she's failing and feeling like she's not living up to the standards she's setting for herself. But the marriage to Mr. Peanut Butter, a life that she's built for herself, was a certain vindication for all that. Taking that away, and it seems like they use the apartment, I think, as a set for that. Mm. I think they use the fact that there is so yeah. little, so little to that apartment means that there's so there's so little for her with which to escape her own thoughts. And I think that gorgeous closing shot of her taking the long drive back into the tunnel, into the, the literal darkness like that she's got to drive through now that Bojack's not there as a distraction. The only thing that brings them back together is the distraction that she's been looking for that she hasn't had for the season. And now he's gone and it's back to her own thoughts. And I think that's something that they're, they're just starting to like scratch the surface of as the season wore on in a way that they haven't had to do with Diane previously because of peanut butter or swimming pools full of jelly or book deals or whatever it might have been. That's not there anymore. And those voices in her head are getting slightly louder. They are getting slightly loud, I would say, but I think importantly, the Diane's character throughout the show has always been one who's suggested that she is sort of fiercely, ind fiercely independent, and she's obviously um, she has strong beliefs about the things that she cares about. Her moral compass is true, and she ends up trying to stick to it as close as possible. But other factors have a tendency to like cause her to either question her own choices or to corrupt them essentially so that she yeah. has to sacrifice them for the better of her job or for the better of her partner or for the better of Bojack Horseman or literally anybody else except for herself the big message here is that Diane's road to self-improvement one she takes the trip away to try and get herself sorted but two obviously moving into the apartment obviously is the thing as you say brilliantly sums it up for me because Diane is whether she wanted it or not has ended up living this life of fairly strong privilege just by being associated with Mr. Peanut Butter. Like, mm. the life... I mean, we get this sort of sort of slight joke about it, don't we, where... I think it's back in season one where she goes back to visit her family when her dad has passed away. And they kind of... Bojack tells everybody that she's a freeloader living on Peanut Butter's dime, essentially, that she's got... Yeah. It's all his house. He's the one bringing the money in. She's kind of, like, just there. And there's, that pattern does come up more than once in this show. And it goes to show you that sometimes the path that you want to take for your personality, for your moral code, for your way of life, sometimes is is really shit, man. It's like it's not great. Like <laughs> it's like it's hard, man. Live if you, if you yeah. want to go and live a like live an independent life in a in a place by yourself, it costs more because it's just you. Like I imagine in Hollywood, it's even harder because like you got to think where you're going to live, and then you've got to find this little apartment. And she. You know, as much as she says she enjoys it for the sort of it's her little small part of the earth, albeit a very small part of the earth. <laughs> like she probably does like that, but at the same time, she's in Hollywood. So the constant comparisons to literally all of her friends and everybody she knows who predominantly are rich, straight white men who've just got it all and don't have anything to worry about. They might not be men, but they are animals and they are definitely white men if they were if they were men. Um, yeah, she's confronted by that constantly, and it's that. We see the comparison of this, is this the sum total of Diane's life without any other factors involved in it? Do you know what I mean? This mm. is, and that's the make it look so 
sad and desolate and like miserable in that in latrist apartments which we come <laughs> fall in love with in a weird way um and it i don't know it it, it shows you the sort of i think it's that ro- the rom- the romanticism of the the writer isn't it i think sometimes where you suffer for your art and she kind of has suffered to say the least throughout this show and none of it is more clear or, or more like visually obvious than when she's sat in her house in her little apartment by herself, eating a, what is it, hungry girl, like, <laughs> yeah. ready meal for one. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 tough, man. It is tough. I think, like, you know, I don't think you're... I think, like, you're absolutely right to nail the distinction between life post-peanut butter. They, they like, obviously, it's, it's a great pun, but the episode where she travels is the dog days are over, mm. and that's her and them the writers trying to draw a line between like Diane with Miss Peanut Butter and Diane without. She very literally can't find herself by going back to her roots. So she just returns home to try and find herself there instead. She spends the whole season struggling with that, struggling and know where she fits in. Um, You know, in all forms, social class, wealth, employment, all of those, you know, all of these kind of like markers that we become acceptant of. And then ultimately, emotionally as well, it like things take a turn. The yet another blow up with Bojack Horseman, yet another difficult interaction between the two, um, isn't the entire reason because we have to put responsibility on Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter for the choices. But it is a extremely emotional exchange with Bojack that leads Diane to feel vulnerable, should we say, mm. when she first like and exposed to the elements and willing to admit that she is, in fact, struggling. I think she calls herself a mess just before Mr. Peanut Butter goes in and they sleep together again for the first time. Um, she's not doing that so that Mr. Peanut Butter will just pay her an empty compliment and refuel her ego for the night. She feels a mess. She's had this complete breakdown of the relationship with Bojack, which has been coming all season. Their inability to talk to each other has resulted in this dreadful blowout. She's bounced from one job that she doesn't really like to another that she doesn't really feel valued in. And now this is, and she finds herself at the Trist Apartments. That I'm a mess is not uh, just a a kind of a prod for Mr. Peanut Butter to say something nice. It's a, a cry for help. Of course, the help ends up being that kind of bounce back sex with the ex. And we get obviously the, the nice payoff. This brings us, I guess, to Mr. Peanut Butter as well. Like Mr. Peanut Butter's own payoff of proposing a pickles rather than dealing with the situation is very peanut butter who before the sharp left turn of sleeping with diane had had another very mr peanut butter season he'd got a job on filbert because he just got out of bed one day and got a job on filbert he'd got in a relationship because it's all he knows in spite of himself in spite of him learning after all of us have learned that it might be good for him to stay single for a little while <laughs> and maybe not get and maybe not get married to somebody younger than him. He nonetheless gets Again. with pickles <laughs> and, and gets serious very quickly. An amazing episode, Mr. Peanut Butter's Booze, where we see the various Halloween parties that he's attended with his four the, the predominant exes of the show, at least. Um it's it's all going very Mr. Peanut Butter until that end of season twist, I guess if you can call it a twist, where he does sleep with Diane and then obviously let twist. <laughs> let, let twist apartment. It's quite nice because it was the first time we both 
had it in big red ink on our notes that this was the first time that where we've always had like Bojack and Peanut Butter on the like a horse and a dog both racing on tracks. They're animals that do that. But like Mr. Peanut Butter's track was always the high track, the smoother track, the easier track. And there was that first time where like scale electrics cars, they crossed in the middle and it had never happened before. And I thought it was like a really nice choice because going into season six, there is only so much. I don't want to say there's only so much you can do with Bojack as this um, central character, for the want of a better phrase, the central character that fucks everything up. Like, I'm not saying that there's a, a certain like point where you have to stop and you have to think about where you're going to go with that character. But with Bojack, with Diane, and as we'll get to, Princess Carolyn, all spending the season assessing their flaws and assessing why they can never be these perfect rounded people. I think it's nice that they finally arrived upon that with Peanut Butter. And it's come as a result of all things as a divorce with Diane. It's we know Diane's influence on characters. We know Diane's influence on us. She like she matters to us. So of course she would have mattered to her ex-husband too. And I think it's nice that he too has finally spiraled a little bit. I don't think it hurts him. It, it can't always be sunshine and unicorns and Mr. Peanut Butter's house. Or can it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely can't. And I think it was hugely important. Um, it's not. I don't think I would go as far to call it like the fall of peanut butter or anything like that. But this is. It ties nicely into, as we've mentioned before, the the whole the whole nature of Diane's speech in the season five finale, where she's on about the guys. They're just mm. guys. Everyone's just guys, and yeah. they either do guys who do good stuff, guys who do bad stuff. But ultimately, there's no such thing as good guys and bad guys. I think it was important the peanut butter proved that he can be a bad guy like that it's important the writer showed us that because every other character has gone through such a bad phase he's the one isn't he who kind of has the reverse like as Mm. you mentioned he goes through such a it seems like a constant we'll call it a good phase but i guess there are flaws he's always been surface level peanut butter never too much deeper than that and like they always present him as having a great time a good time a great time who's a good boy he's a good boy yes he is yes he is like (laughs) and then for him to be the one who finishes on the bum note, where, mm. which I guess, you know, people might be like, he didn't finish on a bum note. He's proposed to his, his girlfriend. <laughs> yes, but look at the circumstances surrounding that. That's not a happy moment. That is no. a disastrously bad moment <laughs> and a very, very unfair moment on Pickles as well, we should point out. But every other character pretty much ends on an upbeat bump. Like um, mm. Princess Carolyn, as we get to, ends up with her, um, her adopted child. Bojack ends up going into rehab, albeit a scary moment. Diane takes her friend to rehab and has assessed her own life and is driving into the unknown, but she knows that she has to do it at least, which is the good part of it. And Todd, of course, well, we'll get to Todd and all his excitement, I'm sure, but he probably relieves himself of the horrible world of the rat race that he mm. didn't really, he's not, doesn't really want to be a part of. Who's got time to do that, Michael, when you're running the whole world with one hand? <laughs> um, Mr. Peanut Butter, though, was the one guy who ends on that bum note, and I think it's really important because it goes to show you that he... I was going to say it humanises him there, but I'm not sure that works when he's a dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody else yeah. has had the flaws really shown to, and this is the first time I think we really get to see he's just as bad as everybody else, Peanut Butter, but maybe, you know, you just don't see it as often. It's not, like, realistically as well, it's not the worst thing for his character because the, I think he's only ever been the only character in Bojack Horseman that has been in danger of feeling 
like a one note joke. In that, like in that the the writing's too smart and it always would be. But it just felt like the one character that you could always almost you could sideline by choice almost and you could have yeah. him come in strictly as a character to move some plot forward or to offer a bit of like relief or something like that. And I think it's quite good. I think it's given you something that you know you're gonna get to sink your teeth into in season six. So yeah. I, like, I appreciate them kind of giving us that now. I guess like knowing that it's only a six season show before it's too late, we know we're going to get a more fleshed out peanut butter. Yeah. Um, pretty much from Mr. Peanut Butter Booze onwards, they've given you way too much backstory and depth of field with the peanut butter character at this point. So just allow him to kind of fade into the background as the show starts to like starts to fade out in season six. I think it leaves you with that important question of we've seen growth from all the other characters. Are we going to see growth from Mr. Peanut Butter, yeah. or is he just going to get to that point which he seems to get to every, let's call it four years, might not be accurate, but we'll call it every four years, where he just hits the point, he has the breakup, and then he just presses the reset button and goes back to the beginning where in his head he hasn't grown up at all, he's still doing the same thing, and then he follows the pattern until it's finished, and then he resets again. Almost, Michael, like a dog chasing its own tail. Could that be? I didn't do the maths at the time. Could that be every seven years? Because that would be one dog year. That would be like one, one amazing, amazing, amazing nice kind of if, if indeed that was the case, I it think that would be amazing. Up. I feel like maybe there's not enough years in between, but if that is the case, man, I will take my... I'm not <laughs> even wearing a hat, but I will put one on just so I can take it off again to this goddamn show. Um, I've been most excited to get to this character in this rundown. Um, Let's talk about Princess Carolyn spending all of season yes, five. Yes, please. Be a parent so that she could be a parent. Um, Princess Carolyn was single, but had made the choice to adopt at the start of the season, which is where we meet Tracy. The first point that the first person that Princess Carolyn will basically have to be a parent of in season five. She then, of course, is dealing with Stuart, the grossly inferior replacement for Judah, her assistant, who she also has to parent. She's mothered Bojack since episode one, season one. She brilliantly. God, this reminds me of like seeing my wife in action at a kid's party. She plays mother on the Filbert set, trying to protect the baby-like male egos of the creators, of the actors, of everybody involved, constantly telling Flip, giving him that approval that everything is going fine, everything is going just right. Have you got drinks? Have you got food? Have you got party hats? Have you opened your party bag? Like, she just has so many jobs that she has to do on that set to keep all of those stupid little piss babies in check because she just wants to get this project over the line. Um, and even then, they stop and they make time for the Amelia Earhart story, which is that one last bit of like backfilling of the Princess Carolyn story, um, which again, like even sort of as a viewer, because it's Bojack, would ordinarily give you the feeling that, oh, great, we're getting this now to let us know that things are going to come, come good. And the episode ends with her not getting the baby, not getting the nod. So I think that's a nice bait and switch that they seemingly take Sadie's baby away from Princess Carolyn, only to give you all the reasons why she should get her, and then they give it you in the finale. And I just think it's great. She spent all the season being a parent. Um, Summarised best as we laboured over lovingly in the episode review of when Bojack Horseman, the show, flips every single sitcom comedy drama convention about the male white knight figure the guy that comes in and says no i'm going to help you do this you've got me now you can do anything now you've got me and she says definitively it's not about that mate and it never was and that's what i've learned um yeah. 
taking his choice away, taking his agency away. When she gets a baby, it's going to be about her and that baby because that's what she believes in her heart she can do and it's what she wants. And it's lush that she it was always destined to be Sadie's baby, but I loved how they took it away before giving it back. It was like it was just sublimely delivered. Like the whole season was her proving, no matter how many times that phone rings, that she can do this. She absolutely can. She can. And you, I think it was you who made the excellent observation that they kind of gave us the payoff to a recurring joke, which maybe any on the service you might have just assumed was very much uh, a career-based thing, but that mm. she is a much better manager than she is a producer and the cruel yes. nature that she couldn't actually, in the end, produce a baby. But mm. by God, if she ever gets a chance to love one and have it as her own, she will manage the hell out of she that will. baby and she'll do a fascinating job. And they do such a good job in the show of just proving that to you time and time again, how good she is at looking after all of the facets that would come with motherhood, only she does it with giant babies, uh, <laughs> some of which are animals, some of which are people, and all of which are stupid pieces of shit men, probably, in Hollywood. Yeah, it's um, it's obviously, you know, again, we're gonna, I guess we've already talked about this a lot, season six is the end of Bojack Horseman, and what they've done is they've given us an opportunity to see Princess Carolyn as a mother before it's too late. So mm. we'll, we we know through the ending that every character now, whatever story is being told in the finale for each character is basically going to be the last story that we're going to spend time with them experiencing. And Princess Carolyn's is now as a mother, as somebody that's that's got a baby. That nice gag about how, she, how she's going to be far less stressed when she's got a baby. They're already... <laughs> They're already foreshadowing that things are going to go wonderfully tits up, as happens when children come into your life. Um, but it's, I don't know, there's a real warmth to that, I think. There's a, re- like, there's a real warmth to her conclusion to season five, because we've just, like, I don't know, they, as what happens with, like, this is a lived-in experience for many women, and obviously, you know, the, the partners of women that go through this, there's a lot of women that just don't get the opportunity and it would have been just as sort of like level-headed of Bojack Horseman to have that be something that she can't have in her life. And I, I thought it was like, it was quite nice of them to do that, to, to give that character this thing that she does so desperately desired. Yeah, I think you wouldn't have been surprised if they'd made a conscious choice to say, actually, Princess Carolyn is going to be a character we use to sort of normalise the fact that this, sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes it doesn't happen for you. Like, yeah. even if you, you know, you you can't actually have children yourself. Sometimes you can't, the adoption side of things doesn't work either. And that is a very real thing that some people have to deal with. And like, it wouldn't have surprised me. And I have no doubt in my mind that they would have absolutely nailed it as well had they chosen to do that. But I think they've made the right choice here in letting us know that she did finally get to the end of that journey. It felt like the correct payoff for me personally. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was the same for you. And I imagine most of the people listening to this podcast, they wanted yeah. to see Princess Carolyn get her shot at being a mother. She's going to mm. get exactly that. I feel like now feels like the only time I'm going to get a chance to sort of wedge this in because I have been thinking about it since we started doing this. But man, oh man, like, I guess the sort of small subplot of Stuart and Tracy in this is one thing, isn't it? Like the uh, the fact that we discover that they are, of course, brother and sister in a <laughs> weird way, um, both equally terrible at assisting Princess Carolyn in life in general like yeah. one of them is a terrible adoption adoption agent and the other is a terrible 
terrible. Is he like a secretary or assistant at this point? All Jesus. I know is, Michael, Stuart is no Judah. And my God, can I just also say how much I've missed Judah, man. Like mm. that guy. I love that guy. What a great guy he is. But Stuart is certainly no Judah. And Tracy certainly isn't. And despite the best efforts of some of the worst factors in her life, she still manages to get to the other side and make a go of it and prove that she can do it. And you know what it is? Oh, it fills my heart full of glee, Michael. I Look, people listening, you've set this up perfectly, so I'm just going to give the people what they want. Setting your heart up full of glee. Three giant rubber cocks flopping off the end of a robot. Like, everybody was making the connection, so I'll make nailed, it too. Absolutely yeah. nailed it. You gave me the segue. I had to take it. Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of this season suggesting that Todd was God. And then God yes, gave on to us. Yes, yes. Oh, 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 G-O-D. <laughs> <laughs> like in the Bible itself, God gave on to us a sex robot called Henry Fondle, who became the CEO of a major corporation sent around telling people the time if they didn't want to look at a clock. I forget which um, chapter and verse. I think it was Austin 316 or something. But anyway, go and look up. It's all in there. Um, Christ, man. Christ, man. <laughs> Todd and Henry Fondle. Oh, my um, God. Sorry, just before, just before I forget this thought that's just gone to my head. You've just mentioned that Henry Fondle has three dildos on him, yeah? Yeah. A big hand, the little hand, and the ticking hand <laughs> of a clock. <laughs> or of the a face, cock in this the situation. The face of a cock, yeah. Oh, God. How? Oh, man, I want that to be so true. <laughs> Todd existed in a very unique space in season five because I want to take our listeners back to episode three and I believe it was episode three myself and yourself coming to a conclusion that we might have just reviewed the first episode of Bojack Horseman that we didn't love planned obsolescence I believe it was um and what I dealt with was Todd and Yolanda kind of coming to the conclusion that maybe the only thing they had in common that was that they were asexual and obviously it was a big thing for Todd at the end of season four to come to terms with that about himself. But maybe with Yolanda, he could have a relationship with a fellow asexual person and things could work out great. And that was not to be. Their relationship was not to be. But we, within the episode, dared. Foolishly, we've seen the show before. We knew he was coming. We knew he was coming. Um, dared, <laughs> dared to suggest that maybe, just maybe, this was the one time that the use of farce wasn't as effective as the, the other times that they've used fast with Todd, only for him to unleash Henry Fondle on the world. Um, a character we compared to Vincent Adultman numerous times for the fact that the whole world couldn't see what we, the viewer, and crucially, one character, in Vincent Adultman's case, it was Bojack. In Henry Fondle's case, it was Todd himself. Only one character could see the reality of the situation along with us, the viewer. Everyone else in the world of Hollywood and in the world of Bojack Horseman could not spot that this pre-programmed sex robot should probably not be put in charge of a multi-million dollar corporation. <laughs> and it's perhaps not speaking to human beings with a brain of its own, but with the pre-recorded, and like, this is great, the pre-recorded dirty talk of somebody who doesn't really want to engage in that in real life. 
<laughs> oh man, Henry Fondle has been an absolute joy in this season. Like the stupidest, stupidest <laughs> bundle of joy I think we could have possibly hoped for. The agent of chaos, perhaps that we <laughs> didn't actually know we needed in a season that already had plenty of chaos through storylines. Actual proper, severely, um, severely impactful chaos. I think <laughs> with Bojack Horseman. But yes, I think we can all agree a great. Like, it'll do this thing every now and again. That's it. it. Bojack Horseman, the show, courtesy of the brilliant writing of rapper Raphael Bob Waxberg and his excellent team of writers, where they'll incorporate something so utterly ridiculous and yet within about an episode within about one episode we'll just be on board with it like <laughs> i don't know how they do that because imagine trying to get someone into poor jack horseman in the first episode you ever or thing you ever maybe stumbled across they might just glance across while you're watching it and the first episode they somehow managed to see is one where Henry Fondle is on your screen. <laughs> you'd lose them forever, surely, wouldn't you? Or you'd get them in forever. It'd be one of the two. It'd be a very specific crowd. Um, but it would certainly it would certainly draw opinions. Yeah, I think again, it's a lot of Todd stuff at this point is strictly judged in context, isn't it? They know exactly how to measure. And again, with perhaps one exception, in our opinion, not necessarily speaking on behalf of the listeners or the rest of the viewers of Bojack Horseman, but with with one rule-proven exception, I guess. They seem to get the measure of Todd's handle on farce spot on. And something you said really stuck out to me as well. Um, I do wonder if Henry Fonda was used as a way to obscure what was actually happening with Todd in season five. Um, mm. You talked about in the finale when he rips off the suit as if it was like a strip of Velcro. The whole thing comes away and all the Todd's clothes are underneath that suit. And um, it's as if work has been, as it does in a lot of people's lives, been stopping him confronting the reality of his personal life, which is still a very unknown and complex world to him. Um, we saw that Emily went to the trouble of setting up an app for asexuals to try and meet other asexuals. And it was great. It was almost like a mini cliffhanger that was never resolved. Todd tries the asexuals app and you see the loading screen looping around and you never are shown if either he's met somebody or mm. worse, that there's nobody else on the app. You're left yeah. to ponder if maybe that's one of like Todd's issues presently in his personal life. So instead, He's kind of thrown himself into this ridiculous work in life that is not something that he chose, that it's not something that he is particularly any good at, but, you know, things just kind of work out for Todd, as they tend to do. And now he's taking himself back out of it. His payoff for his yeah. season is back to what he probably should have been doing all along, which is not focusing so much on career and trying to work out how to kind of, like, get his personal life in an order that he's happy with. Yeah, I think the real important uh, factor for Todd in this season, which... As you say, it started off very obvious at the beginning of this season where it was like, mm. Todd is going to like try and explore his sexuality, try and explore his identity and find out more about who Todd is and what Todd is all about. And I think at this point, he's been so scared of the labels. Uh, you know, we go as far back as like season one, I'm sure there's like little hints at the fact that Todd isn't really comfortable in that space. And now that he's trying to figure out who he is, we seem like we're on that right path. And then obviously things don't quite work out with Yolanda, unfortunately. And I guess we get that mad episode as we spoke about planned obsolescence. And which I will point out, someone did slide into the podcast horseman DMs. And I think I've mentioned this already, but it feels like a good time to mention it again. I think we should, well, at one point we'll watch this episode again, you and I. And mm. armed with the knowledge that 
their point of view, the person who was messaging um, was uh, an asexual person who, and was mentioning how they felt like, as wild as the episode is, it was really a very good representation of how life is for someone who's asexual, being bombarded at every single turn in life, mm. whether you think about it or not. I guess if in, in, a, in a world where you're not an asexual person, you're probably just normalized to all of the things where sex is sort of intertwined with in, in everyday life that you aren't thinking yeah. about. It's everywhere. Every conversation maybe that, you know, for example, a bunch of lads in a, in a locker room somewhere just constantly mm. talking about sex and all this kind of thing. Like that's an environment where that would be. But if you're not into that, then that's just constantly being bombarding you mm. like when you're not interested. Whereas I'm sure if a bunch of asexuals were to talk in front of someone who wasn't an asexual, they'd start kicking off because it was being... It was a bunch of topics that they didn't want to talk about. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. difference in normalization. And, and until we got that message, I guess I haven't really looked at that episode that way. Mm. And yeah. I still think I would stand by it for me personally. It was the one episode where I feel like the, it hasn't landed the way most of the others did, but maybe that's why. And so I just wanted to uh, reiterate that because we did get some, like, we, as we have done throughout the last couple of seasons, uh, yeah. got some really excellent messages from people who've uh, taken an interest in the show at this point, our show and, of course, Bojack Horseman. But, yeah, I think the big moment of Todd's um, season, in particular, when we get to the end here. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's very specific, him shedding the skin, isn't it, of, of corporate life, a one that he didn't necessarily choose, but one that was distracting him from his mission in this season, which was to find out who Todd is. And one thing we can guarantee, Michael, despite all impending rumours that he may or may not be some kind of deity, he is definitely not a guy 
who should be running what time is it right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and really, certainly not one who's meant to book adverts in in those time slots either. <laughs> it does make you wonder if really anybody should be running what time is it right now. Um, that, I guess, is all of like the all of the, the characters, you know, sort of individually discussed. Um, I just want to touch on one more thing before we like move on to horsing yeah, around. I, I don't think this like particularly like overlaps with the gags or the spots or the Easter eggs, but um, show within a show within a show this season was just phenomenal. Um, Flip gave the, the, the grand foreshadowing line of this being a hell of a season of television as episode one came to a close. As so many episodes came to a close, not with the traditional closing credits music, but with something different, with something that kind of like felt jagged and took you out of your Bojack Horseman comfort zone, as if to make you live through Bojack's life as Philbert, who was gradually coming out of his own comfort zone. I just thought um, maybe the best season yet for how they experimented with the form, for how no longer do you press play on an episode and expect the run of the mill from the very beginning of this show because we knew it would apply to most, if not all. We've taken the stance that we talk about Bojack's arc and then we talk about the B plot and the C plot and so on. There are more episodes in this season than ever before where it was simply impossible to do that, either because of the overlapping arcs of the characters, because of the irregular structure um, for just, like, it's one thing to have, like, a a monologue episode such as Free Churro, but the mind-blowing concept of Int.Sub where we have two therapists telling the story yeah. of the characters through thinly veiled um, masks and disguises so they're not talking about their specific clients. Um, just like various little inspired ideas like that. You know, it takes us back to celebrating and toasting just how special Fish Out of Water was. Mm-hmm. Um, this season was bolder than ever, and I can't congratulate them. It, like the episode 11, episodes 11 always are, but this one in particular like blurring the lines between Philbert and Bojack to the point where none of it was clear anymore, least of all towards the viewer. I, I just thought like it was, they just nailed it again, like home run after home run after powerhouse after powerhouse in the way that they, they played with the form more than ever before with such a, like such a strong success rate as well. Yeah. I feel like many, many episodes in this particular season really hit. They explored with a change in format. I mean, I think about Mr. Peanut Butter's booze. Like yeah. a wildly excellent episode that probably would be overshadowed in this season by mm. how great Free Churro is or how great the episode 11 is in terms of that narrative where the narrator has become more and more unreliable and a payoff to the fact we've seen the the sort of worlds of fiction and reality becoming one and getting blended in, in specifically in the world of Hollywood. Like this whole season, they tried new things. And I'd say... I would even take my hat off to them for the madness that is planned obsolescence because it it still there's still stuff in there that was mm. great underneath all of that madness. I still seem like I remember I was finding the excellence between uh, Mr. Peanut Butter and Pickles, of course, who are busy trying to figure out what their relationship is yeah. amidst all of that. Uh, while Diane also is kind of the the narration essentially to that car journey they have, if you recall, <laughs> where she's talking about her ex-husband on a podcast or something along those lines. But yeah, they try their best to hit home runs with various different factors and, and formats in this season. And I think it works nine times out of ten. And most notably, just to go back quickly to what you said about the end of uh, the end of the season. Now, uh, the end of the season, the end of episodes. 
they've completely changed the form, format up in terms of the final song. I believe, and I will take a leap of faith on this, I may be wrong, I'm sure people will tell me, because you know where to find us, at Podcast Horseman, if indeed this is wrong. To my knowledge, off the top of my head, I think they only use the actual uh, Bojack Horseman soundtrack. I think it's the end of episode 10, right? Right. Once this season. The rest of them mm. are either covers or uh, different, there's like the specific scores to go at the end of the episode. I mean, I'm pretty yeah. sure episode 11 ends with that slow score, not, mm. a, not a proper track. And then, of course, episode 12 ends with the song By the War on Drugs. More on that later on, everybody. <laughs> um, but also, like I think if that episode 10, I almost felt like, it felt like I remembered it was the only time because it felt like they deliberately put that in there to almost trick you into thinking things have gone back to normal. Like, mm, yeah. Don't worry, guys. Things have gone back to normal just before episode 11. And then obviously things were very not okay <laughs> at all, actually. Because um, I distinctly remember hearing that and thinking, oh, yeah, that's interesting that they put it there. I haven't heard it all season. And that may well be an additional layer. And the more I think about that, if I'd done some research, that could have been my one last thing. But it's not going to be <laughs> this one. At Podcast Horseman, for anybody who wants to go back through real quick and find out if that is indeed true. I like how I've said that as if they're going to tell us before we finish this podcast. <laughs> Not going to happen. But yeah, fascinating. The way they've tried to... The show deserves to try and stretch its legs, I think. It's been like watching one of our favourite bands try and do the next big album. And to say they've mm. smashed out of the park and given us another powerhouse season would be a gross understatement, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think, for, for now at least, is that. That's all the characters covered mm. I, like it never feels like we've done enough on these recaps i always I find but uh that's what the individual episode go back go back and listen to them all again if yeah. you are doing if you have discovered this podcast several years after we recorded it in 2020 and 2021 these recaps are the primers please feel free to go back to catch all the little details we cover individually in each one and we don't often tend to have any kind of brag on this podcast because we are nowhere near as good as the people who make the actual show that we're reviewing. Not <laughs> even close. But I will say, if you're enjoying the recap, trust me, I think the episode by episodes are just as good. In my <laughs> humble opinion, of course, I would say. That's up to you, though. You do you, listener. You do you. Um, I will just give a quick shout-out before I move on. Shout-out to Flip McVigar. And shout out to Gina. Flip is a piece of shit and I hate him, right? <laughs> He's a real piece of shit. But I tell you what, it's a fantastic bit of work from Rami Malek to make me hate him as much as he does because he's a horrible, like, sort of perfect um, portrayal of all that is bad and wrong with the Hollywood system, in particular mm. the men in Hollywood. If you've been listening yeah. to this podcast long enough, you'll know the theme. <laughs> also, shout out to Gina, who is, at the start of this show, uh, just another actress in Hollywood trying to get along and not rock the boat. And by the end, has certainly had her own boat rocked, but is, despite all the disastrous things that have happened to her, on her way to becoming yeah. a really good actress. Unfortunately, she almost had to get killed by Bojack Horseman for that to happen, uh, which is not ideal. But fantastically, uh, we did mention Rami Malek there. It would be remiss to not mention Stephanie Beatrice, of course, who is Rosa, of course, Mendez from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. You will know her as, but we know her in this show as Gina, and she is excellent. Two welcome additions, I think we can both Absolutely, agree. yeah. But with that said, it is now time to do the special version of Horsing Around for the Season 5 
the season five for season five of Bojack Horseman. We go through all of the horsing arounds from previous episodes of this season, five uh, season five, episode one through to 12, and I picked my favourites or the ones I felt were most relevant or just the ones that made me laugh out loud, Michael. Uh, yeah, <laughs> anyway, spoiler alert, I'm pretty sure quite a lot of these aren't laugh out loud ones, but who knows? <laughs> what can I say? What can yeah. I say? But essentially, this it, just in case you are someone who only listens to the recaps, this is, of course, the... All of the hidden details you might have missed within the show, all of the things you might have missed, all of the Easter eggs within episodes, that's what these tend to be. So let's go back to the very beginning of the season this time, though. And we start with episode one, the light bulb scene. And I've decided to write the names next to them this time because I never usually do. And I just like the names. I like the time that they spend on them anyway. The one that I have recalled is something you've already mentioned in this little rap we've done, but it feels important, and it was the biggest thing for me that happened in season one, in season five, episode one, standing outside of Bojack's, or was it Philbert's house? Who really knows anymore? Flip McVicker says to Bojack, I tell you, buddy, this is going to be a sensational season of television. And you know what? On the recap, Michael, I think we can both agree, he wasn't wrong, was he? He wasn't wrong. <laughs> He got, that was the one thing he did right across that the whole season. That was the one thing the Flip yeah. McVicker got right. <laughs> that and Barf Me a River fart bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give him that. Well done, Flip. Well done. You are a genius. Anyway, episode two of season five, The Dog Days Are Over. Um, despite the fact this was obviously a very important episode for Diane, the horse and around has gone to Mr. Peanut Butter, I'm afraid, Michael, because we go to Mr. Peanut Butter's house where he's having his housewarming party. And, of course, his look with the printers has not gotten any better in five seasons. There is a large housewarming party banner that reads, Mr. Peanut Butter's housewarming bash. And can you send me a picture of the banner before it goes off to the printers this time? Question mark. They just don't get it, Michael. They just don't get it. And neither does he at this point, which is ultimately even funnier. We yeah. go to episode three, Planned Obsolescence. And this one was something I'd never noticed before until we did it this time around. But when they go and sit down for dinner with um, Yolanda's family, who are, of course, all the axolotls, uh, and they go to the very sex-riddled sex house, I think we can agree, all of the foods that are on the table for this meal are all aphrodisiacs, and as such, they all make for the weirdest-looking buffet of food you can ever imagine. We've got chocolate, we've got maca root, we've got oysters or abalones, which obviously are the bigger versions mm -hmm. of oysters, I guess. Or we also said maybe the whole gig, what the gag was, the oysters were like human-sized oysters almost because of the weird anthropomorphic nature of the show and kale as well. It's a table for the brand <laughs> stuff. It's just not put together in a meal, but of course they are all aphrodisiacs. What a great little detail that is in a house full of sex-crazed people, I guess we can call them. <laughs> um, we go, well, minus Todd and Yolanda, of course, but we go across to episode four, uh, Bojack the Feminist. And, I mean, it just felt like too, too good of an opportunity, Michael, because our protagonist if we can call him a protagonist at this point, I don't know how heroic Bojack Horseman is these days. But Bojack says when he's finally taken on the mantle of trying to understand feminism and he's talking with Princess Carolyn and Diane, he says, everyone loves a male feminist. It turns out the problem with feminism all along is it just wasn't men doing it. We're much <laughs> less shrill. Gosh. I mean, 
Good God, the sad part is someone along the line probably believes that, don't they? <laughs> yeah, that felt like something a writer would, had said to them or had yeah. like inferred from another conversation with a, a man wearing a feminism as Bay t-shirt spelled B-A-Y, perhaps. Yeah. B-A-Y, I mean, who could possibly ever come up with such a thing? <laughs> I mean, I feel like someone was waiting for the vehicle to express that and now we have it, so thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Episode 5, The Amelia Earhart Story. Again, it's that piece of shit horse, Michael. He's made it back on the hit list because, specifically, Bojack Horseman was on the phone at one point to our home favourite, Princess Carolyn, as she's obviously gone to try and adopt a child or speak with Sadie about the potential of doing so. Bojack is on the phone to her and he's talking about how annoyed he is at the script that he's got and how long his lines are that he's going to have to remember. And he says, no show should have that much talking TV is a visual medium. And of course, this is relevant because just one episode later, of course, we get free churro. The entire episode, of course, being a monologue, read by Bo well, yeah, read by Will on it, I guess, but spoken by Bojack Horseman. Oh, god damn it, I love this show. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, episode six, free churro. Um we get a great callback to uh, Ibsen, which has been a recurring theme throughout Bojack's past in comparison to the work he does now, was it as good as Ibsen? It's no Ibsen, his mother would constantly <laughs> say to him throughout his career. Uh, we get a little flashback of Bojack Horseman in the car with Butterscotch. Ironically, the one bit that is before the full monologue at the funeral in Free Churro West, Butterscotch says to Bojack in the car, your mother's having another one of her episodes. Last night, she went to see a doll's house with a couple of girlfriends, and now she has ideas. And just as a recap for anybody who's forgotten, brilliantly this, a doll's house is a three-act play written by the Norwegian playwright Henrik Ibsen. The play is significant for the way it deals with the fate of a married woman who at the time in Norway lacked reasonable opportunities for self-fulfillment in a male dominated world despite the fact that Ibsen denies it was his intent to write a feminist play it aroused a great sense of sorry it aroused a great sensation at the time and caused a storm of outraged controversy that went beyond <laughs> the theater to the world newspapers and society which is just a brilliant sort of the love they have for Ibsen in general for writing on this show obviously shines through here, but the fact that they can tie it all the way back to actually being a feature between the relationship with Butterscotch and Beatrice Horseman, I just thought was wonderful. Really well done and a great deep cut in an episode where that feels more relevant than ever, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so great that they left that. Like, I, like I'd learned so much from your, like, description of that as well. And you can just, like, you can feel, like, the... Um, hatred towards even the idea of feminism leaping out of all the discussion on that as well. So I love that it was Ibsen all along for yeah, that. Yeah, it, like, like, <laughs> it was like that, that was what they'd chosen as the comparison point that they could eventually pay off down the road. And to pay it off in such a great way, absolutely excellent. This show, man, it's so good. Episode 7, though, Int Sub, or Internal Sub, if you've got the lingo down. Um, this one, we kind of owe a bit of a, a thumbs up to one of our listeners um, because I did mention in the uh, horsing around breakdown at one point, but not in understanding or twigging as to what the gag was. I mentioned that Indira, Dr. Indira, of course, a great character we get in this episode who is re regaling all the stories and stuff. Dr. Indira's surname, Michael, is Dr. Indira Daddy Shoe, spelled D-A-D-Y-S-H-U-E. So on the surface, you just think, oh, that's just Indira Daddy Shoe. That's a weird name, but okay. 
And as one of our brilliant listeners pointed out on a tweet, which I remembered to note down because I wanted to mention it in this recap, shout out to at not a buoy stan who mentioned to us because how did we miss this, Michael? How are we so stupid? It basically said it might say Dr. Indira Daddy Shoe, but maybe it's Dr. Indira Daddy Issues, Michael. Of course Very it is. Good. Amazing. She's a, because she's a, she's a psychologist, psychiatrist. I can't remember. She's one of those. She looks after people, <laughs> talks them through their problems. Psychiatrist, I want to say. And Dr. Indira Daddy Issues, man. That's a great, a great name that honestly flew over my head because we had so many other things to do. I just think I took it for granted. Which you can never do with Bojack Horseman, unfortunately. <laughs> episode 8, though, Mr. Peanut Butter's Booze. And I've gone for a personal favourite in this episode. Um, just there was loads of stuff going on in here in terms of um, the fancy dress gags that were, that were throughout. This was one of the most intense episodes to try and note because there was so much going on and I wanted to do it all justice. But the guy who takes the cake for me was the moth person, Michael, who was a ghost throughout all of the parties, over the four different parties, uh, was just wearing a bedsheet over himself, the moth person. And obviously, as the years progressed, he was eating more and more of the bedsheet. <laughs> until by the very end of the last party in the modern day, he just ate the last piece of his thing and just walked home, just a normal outfit. I just thought, what a clever gag to do to show the passing of time. But, of course... I have slightly cheated here because I, I would just kill me if I didn't give an honorary mention to Baby Bjorn Borg, which is one of our oh. favourite moments in the yep. whole goddamn show, I think, never mind mm -hmm. uh, yep. this episode. Um, really great stuff. This Bojack, the only person at the party who actually gets what Diane's fancy dress is, the only person at the whole party who actually gets Diane full stop. I think we can all agree. Mm -hmm. We go to episode nine, though, Ancient History. And once again, it's that piece of shit horse, Michael. But unfortunately, this is, there's nothing funny about this one. This one stings real bad now in hindsight because it's when Bojack has just gone to Gina's house with Hollyhock to try and find some more pills. Uh, he doesn't end up finding the ones he wants. He's in the car with Hollyhock and they're driving away and Bojack says the following, I'm very fond of that woman and I'm sure that things are going to work out fine and we can find a way to be happy together and I won't hurt her in a way that she carries with her for the rest of her life. Oh. oh, man. That is some real grim stuff. And I'm mm -hmm. sure you're glad I brought it back up. <laughs> <laughs> it I mean, is. God damn it, man. They're pieces of shit when they write this show sometimes because they know that stuff's going to come back and kick you mm -hmm. like a boot to the penis as it should be. <laughs> uh, and it really is sometimes one that you just cannot stomach, unfortunately. And just to give us a little bit of light relief, I thought it was important. As you see, I've cheated a little bit again. Another honorary mention just for this one. Last honorary mention, I promise. Because Todd got one of the pops of the season from me in this episode when he was talking to Diane in her house and she comes up with the thing that triggers his idea and he shouts at the top of his lungs, Diane, you sad homed genius, you've cracked it. <laughs> <laughs> There's something so funny about that, man. It's such a good line. And I've probably missed it a million times without watching this show, without the subtitles. Cannot recommend that enough if you want to get the full experience sometimes. We go to episode 10, Head in the Clouds. And I've just got to give a shout out, Michael. We've talked about him so much in this season. We love him. We're going to miss him if he doesn't turn back up. But we just love, with all of our being, the office gentleman who is in Todd's office throughout this season 
and mm. just does a bunch of different things. And the reason I mention him here is because brilliantly he's sat on the couch reading an issue of Office Gentleman Quarterly that actually has his face <laughs> on it, covering up his own face. We love you, off the Office Gentleman, and we yeah. hope you get a new job wherever you may be going after you got kicked out of what time is it right now. To be honest, their loss. I think we can all agree. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Episode 11, though, The Showstopper. And this one, thankfully, is just more of a bit of a fun thing I went for because there's so much to mm-hmm. do in episode 11. I just thought I'd call it back to the point where Bojack and Gina are in the car uh, during an episode of Philbert while they're filming. And one of the lines she says to Bojack, she says, this case is like the movie Love Actually. No leads. <laughs> <laughs> Which got a pop the first time and it got a pop the second time and it will continue to get a pop until I run out of pops which will be never. So there you go. And finally, last but not least, episode 12, The Stopped Show. Well, it wouldn't be Bojack Horseman if I didn't finish on another questionable quote at the end, but at least this one could be good, could be bad. It felt really important when Bojack is talking with Diane and he's talking about the fact, because I stand outside having that one last cigarette together before he goes in to the rehabilitation home and says, Rehabilitation home, is that what we're calling it? Facility, we'll call yeah. it. And uh, he says to Diane, what if I get sober and I'm still the same awful person I've always been, only more sober? And I guess we'll have to wait and find out is the answer yeah. to that. But mm-hmm. Diane at the time kind of says to him, well, that's kind of part of the deal. Maybe it will happen and maybe it does. And funny enough, as a man who didn't drink for a year. That was certainly something I remember thinking. <laughs> I wonder what sober me is actually like. That would be interesting to find out. Spoiler alert, he's great. Just, just, just... <laughs> so fingers crossed for you, Bojack. It might work out well for you too. You can do it. Oh, buddy, old pal. But yes, that's everything from this season of Horsing Around. Really some great stuff to pick from. Of course, there were so many in each episode, but I had to go with personal favourites. So if I missed any that you really liked, please do let us know at Podcast Horseman what your favourites were because, again, there are so many. But, Michael, do we have time, do you think? We I don't think have sponsors anymore because they've, 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 they've been burned to the ground. Yeah, They're being problematic. What crime is it right now? I hear you say, well, <laughs> no more. What time is it right now? But I do think we've still got time for one last thing and then I swear to God, I'll shut up about this season for good. Michael, would you like to go first? Or second when it comes to this season? I'll take first if it's all right. Mine you much, quite gladly take first. Why not? As much as shout out to a guy, you won't have heard of him. He doesn't get a lot of uh, play on this podcast. And uh, like, why would he? It's not really a guy you go to much when you talk about Bojack Horseman. That's right. We're going to go to Raphael Bob Waxberg. Not a Twitter contributor, but in fact, the writer and creator of Bojack Horseman. Um we reviewed Free Churro. We made the, the conscious choice to just go through the dialogue word for word. Every single word of Free Churro is reviewed in our episode of Podcast Horseman. Thank you to the creators of Bojack Horseman for that one. Um, but I guess a special thank, especially thanks to Raphael Bob Axberg himself. This was the only episode he was credited as the writer for in season five. Um, obviously, his name is at the front of the credits. It's his show. It's his baby, you imagine it, you know, final sign-off and all that. But if you go back and you look at all the episodes, typically across the seasons, it's often in episode 11 or the opener or the season finale. Big stuff, you know, that he wants to sign off. But mm. every ruddy word was his, we are led to believe, from Free Churro. And what a monument to the show, his show, because 
that's all it is is words um every word has got to be perfect every word has got to be poured over um and the dialogue doesn't miss uh, no dialogue the monologue the monologue doesn't miss mm. um at no point is a foot put wrong and i just thought it was nice to isolate a shout out to him i remember when we did fish of water fish out of water and it was nice to go through the credits to everybody that helped create such a masterful episode and of course rbw because who else is going to be the front of the credit that we dole out like lovingly on the show and luxuriating but just i thought very specifically of all the episodes for you to have a sole writing credit for free churro is something that he can say that he has left the world as his little contribution to it that i certainly would be very proud of if it was mine absolutely and you think with the show like starting to try and stretch its legs a bit more uh, in that particular season, it feels like maybe he also got a little bit more comfortable with allowing the control and shows you the kind of show he's running where he wants to help mm. his creatives be more creative and give them that freedom rather than try and rule the whole... I'm sure he probably does have a a, a certain control over it. I'm mean, his baby and he still want to make sure it's being done correctly. But imagine being able to trust your writing team at this point, yeah. which you probably can, and focus all his energies in that one specific episode, which... Undoubtedly was the one that got quite a lot of talk from this season. So <laughs> there you go. I'm sure he's still fairly happy about that. My one last thing, though, is actually of all the things to do a one last thing for the whole season about Michael, I must correct myself, unfortunately. That is my penance for this season because it's been eating me up since the last episode we did. <laughs> <laughs> so I've decided to use my one last thing to ask for one last apology. <laughs> and I swear to God, I'll shut up about this season forever. Because, stupidly, what happens whenever I do my notes for BoJack Horseman, I'll write them down in a little notes thing on uh, on my phone or on the iMac or whatever. And whatever's written down there, I've usually combed over it and made sure it's written exactly as I want it. Because if it's in my notes, I will read it and will write it and will speak it as, as it is seen in there. Just like when I write down, do the stars at the weekend, Adam, you stupid piece of shit. If it's not written down there, I won't read it. And literally, as I was doing the notes, I've obviously written down incorrectly the name for the final song of season five, episode 12, which we both know, Michael. You and I mm -hmm. both know this. And yet, because it was written down in my notes as the war on drugs, uh, as the artist, and of course, the song was written down as Under Pressure in my notes, but that is not the title of the song. The song, the title of the song is Under the Pressure because it's literally in the goddamn lyrics. That's how obvious <laughs> it is. And this has been chewing me up inside, Michael, like a little bug under the pressure of my skin as it crawls all over itself. So here I am to tell you I am a stupid piece of shit idiot who got that wrong. <laughs> uh, and apologies to the war on drugs because I love you very much. In fact, love that album so much that after we did that exact episode and recorded it, which we should point out we finished recording at midnight, I decided to get on my new bicycle, Michael, and go for a cycle with the music on. That's how oh, good nice. that song is. That's how much I like that song. But apparently not enough to get the title <laughs> correct. So there you go. That's my one last thing. It's not really a one last thing, but I tell you what, it made me feel better. And as we see from Gordon Horseman, sometimes you just got to get it off your chest, Michael, and that's how it works. He's <laughs> bringing podcast is this? It's ours. So you take that moment. You take that goddamn moment. <laughs> you goddamn right I will. you goddamn <laughs> right I will. But as much as this podcast is all about us, Michael, as we've clearly pointed out, yeah, <laughs> it is also about the beloved listeners that we have who join us every single week for the latest episode where you and I have waffled on for almost an hour and a half to two hours and talked about this amazing show, talked ourselves horse about a talking horse. So it is nice to hear what the people 
of the Bojack Horseman community and indeed podcast horseman community like to talk about and like to say. And we've done just that as every season recap we do. We ask for your questions and you, Michael Hamlet, are going to take the lead now because this is your baby, if I recall correctly. Yes, indeed. I've put the tweet out uh, for people to get in touch with us uh, through the App Podcast Horseman Twitter feed to ask us questions, to leave us comments, to, I don't know, to leave us abuse. I guess it's that say something nice, say something nasty business. But people are generally quite nice on Twitter because they see their own little name flash up and it's not quite the uh, quite the cruel wild west of the five-star universe that we're used to. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there are a series of questions and comments and various just stray observations that can help us round out nicely season five so we can put a little bow on it and move into season six next week. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll start with a question from you, Adam Nicholas, I believe. I believe I do have them. I've just realised, Michael, are the Twitter questions your untitled Michael Hamflood project? <laughs> They're your baby, that. aren't they? They are your baby. <laughs> Indeed. But unlike Princess Carolyn, I might actually keep that name. That feels quite nice. <laughs> Yeah, it does feel quite nice. Maybe we'll use that in the future when we talk about this. <laughs> anyway, the first question from our untitled Michael Hamlet project <laughs> <laughs> comes from, and thank you everybody who sends these in genuinely. It's always great to read them, but even better to get us to answer them. Why the hell not? Not like we've got anything else to do right now, Michael, is it? Let's have a look. So, first question from this season's questions comes from Dad Attitude, regular contributor and listener. Thank you very much for your question, who says... And I pitch this to you, Michael. Which recurring character from a previous season would you bring back for this season? I'm assuming season five or season six, we mean, yeah. Either way, my choice would be Vincent Adultman, as he always seemed to have a positive effect on <laughs> Bojack. Yeah, we've talked about Vincent Adultman quite a lot and the bizarre comparisons that there are to be made between Vincent Adultman and Henry Fondo. Um, we've touched upon the character that I would say has answered this question earlier in the review. It's Judah. Um, as pleasing yeah. as it's been to see Princess Carolyn be given the last tests of parenthood through her professional career, um, it would be nice if she had a helping hand. And that's what Judah always was. Awesome. Um, even and a competent one at that. A competent one. The decision that cost him his job was a decision made in good faith for Princess Carolyn. She obviously felt that, that was the, the right choice to make to relieve him of his duties. But yeah, miss that guy. It was even in the when you're watching the episode... Bojack Horseman, the show, exists with such a sense of disorder that it was nice that it was somebody that could bring some order to it just every now and then. I love Judah so much. I love Judah. I love the fact that his second name is Man or Dog. I love that his full name is <laughs> Judah Man or Dog. <laughs> <laughs> I miss him so much, man. He's such a great character. He's, um, we've often used Diane, but she wasn't that this season. He's the still point in Hollywood's turn in the world. I think. I, mean, <laughs> yes. I think so. The one, but he hasn't been corrupted by Hollywood no. yet. I think minus getting sacked for doing his job. I guess we've got a comment next rather than a question. But I wonder if you might be able to chip in on this because I, to my shame, can't. We've got a, a, a remark from Nerd Thirteen at underscore Nerd Thirteen underscore who has noted that the final scene between Todd and Henry Fondle that was as we might remember last week the scene where he. Um, murders Henry Fondle with a, a cattle prod, a taser, under a tree, um, as Henry Fondle has remembered the words, <laughs> I, love, I love you, father, I think were the words that he was yes, uttering. I love you, father. Yeah. Uh, as, as Todd killed him. Um, Nerd 13 has posited that perhaps, um, it says it reminds him more of, of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck, where George Mercy kills Lenny. Um, spoiler, I guess, if you've not read of Mice and Men. That one <laughs> past, yeah, it's an old book. People should have got around to it by now, you know. Um, I've not read of Mice and Men. 
And it's to oh, my yeah. shame that I'm such a I'm so culturally illiterate that a lot of, a That's lot not true. Often a lot of these references, as much as I might have at one point read those, you know, those like let's notes revision guides where you kind of yeah. get like the brass the brass tacks of a novel that you've got to pass an exam with. Um I feel like I that's always, been my I was always a York notes guy myself. <laughs> York notes. Like I've got that level of exposure to my and but I can't speak to this. Um but I mean, a potential great take because we were looking at the tree as quite a Shawshank aesthetic, but it could be something else they're drawn from instead, perhaps, in that finale. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think, first of all, I'll say it, yeah, I think you're probably justified, yeah. 1937, Michael, was when this book was first published. <laughs> I feel like the statute for spoilers is gone, man. That's it. <laughs> I think they're safe on that, in that department. However, yeah, I guess so, because obviously... Um, George ends up shooting Lenny, if I remember correctly. I'm sure he shoots him. Um, and yeah, he takes him down to like the quiet lake or whatever. It's the spot I'm sure they take him to. And he shoots him um, in that sort of mercy killing thing. Yeah, I think I quite like that, actually. I know we, mm-hmm. I think that might have been a miss, uh, a misunderstanding, not a misunderstanding, but this is obviously a better take maybe than ours. We kind of were talking about the actual scene, weren't we, when we were talking about that sort of Shawshank moment, the big tree, the sort of look of the whole place. We kind of yeah. related to that. But I feel like that's a great take, actually, in terms of, of Mice and Men, because Henry Fondle is such a great, big, powerful thing that doesn't know its own strength, I guess, is also <laughs> sort of similar tie as any So, um, yeah, great stuff. I like that a lot. Um, do you have anything else to add to that before I move on to the next question? No, again, that would be uh, without me consulting my old notes books that got me the GCSE. <laughs> they got me the GCSE pass so I could run and kick and scream away from English literature. I wouldn't be able to contribute to that, so I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to be just another man spouting shit. I see. Well, we could just be two men spouting shit in a podcast. <laughs> we move on to our next question, though, from Barton Keys. Thank you, Barton, for your question, who says, uh, just want to say thank you for the show. Oh, not a question, just a thank you. I uh, just want to say thank you for the show. Your free tour reading had me tearing up the same as the episode itself did. Have you ever seen Horace in... Oh, there is a question, yeah. Have you ever seen... Maybe I should have read this before I actually started reading the question. <laughs> have you ever seen Horace and Pete? It's obviously greatly mired now, but the free tour reminded me a lot of Laurie Metcalf's incredible monologue. No. Um, and rather than me diving into Wikipedia and the like, please feel free to follow up on that. I'd like yes. to know why that's mired. I'd like to know more about the show. Um, uh, I, I could dive in. The internet is right there. I know that the I know that your follow up tweet could be Google it, you lazy bastard. But <laughs> I love recommendations where I can have some of the context applied for me. I trust more the recommendations from somebody than what a screen is going to show me. So I would like to hear a lot more about that. If you say that those are comparative pieces, that's something I definitely take an interest in. Unfortunately, I can't even add anything that myself. I don't. There's another ballpark that I have not visited myself. So any light that could be shone on that would be great. And let's just say we are trying to be legit here and not using Google all the time just to be like, no. hey, <laughs> Wikipedia tells us this. I like, I'd like to point out as well, I think we've made it pretty clear. Whenever we are doing any Wikipedia-related or adjacent stuff in the podcast, I always try to tell you because I, I just don't want everyone thinking, well, that's smart because that's not true. It's completely yeah. not true. And I guarantee you, most of the people's podcasts you listen to, they've been lying to you this whole time. <laughs> we are too legit to quit on this podcast uh, as well. You know by this point. Um, 
We've got another one. See, we're so legit. This isn't even a question as much an observation, but I love it. And like, it'd be a shame not to at least picture this. Nathaniel Arnold, another regular contributor, thank you very much, has said, I'm sad we never got Henry Winkler trying to make people more respectful during the funeral of Henry Fondle. Gone, but not forgotten. <laughs> Fantastic callback to Henry Winkler refusing to acknowledge his past life as the Fonz um, <laughs> while talking about every every other role Henry Winkler has played in. Uh, yeah, and admittedly an illustrious career, but quite amazing that they wouldn't acknowledge that one there. Um, I'm just thinking of Henry Fondle bulldozing a funeral. It reminds me of that. You know, that cut to gag in Father Ted where Dougal's done a funeral and you see a bit like what appears to have been a helicopter has crashed into a grave. You could just imagine like an upturned Henry Fondle, like robot arse in the air with like a dildo splashed across the vicar's face or something like that. I mean, that's quite an image you've just painted there. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, think, I think, thank you. Is that what I want to say? Maybe. Um, but of course, this would be the actual funeral of Henry Fondle, Michael. So you know, I'm, I'm I'm kind of intrigued to figure out what exactly that would look like. Would he mm. have been separated into all of his original parts? Would he just be full? And would Todd have put the eyes back on that fell off when he killed him? I, don't, I just don't know. <laughs> but anything that would have more Henry Winkler in the show would be fine by me because he's an absolute treat wherever he turns up. And as a man who has recently been watching Parks and Recreation for the first time. Henry Fonda turning up, or Henry Fonda, they've done it again. Henry Winkler turning up in um, Parks and Rec, obviously, as the father of John Ralphio. Yes. Um, is an amazing uh, cameo. Not to mention the fact, of course, John Ralphio being the voice of Rudabega Rabinowitz as well. So there you go. Yeah. It's all connected somewhere along the line. But yes, I would definitely have been up for watching the funeral of Henry Fonda, no doubt about it. Anyway, next question. An actual question, I think, this time, Michael. From Raymond, and I apologise, Raymond, because I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm going to go with me good. Raymond Straumple, Straumple, S-T-R-O-E-M-P-L-E. Thank you for your question, my friend. He says, do you think the bit about an episode of Philbat being a coma episode from Flip McFigger's drawing board in the beginning of the season is a reference to the show Archer, which had several seasons take place in a coma dream? Right, well, I... Did see this question pop up. I haven't seen Archer, so I can't speak to that specific reference. We're on a good run here, mind, aren't we? <laughs> now, however, yeah. However, um, that coma uh, gag, I guess you call it the coma reference, is something that television and film has got something of a history of, if yes. not with comas, with dreams. Um, Dallas springs to yes, mind, of course, of an, exactly entire, was, yeah. of an entire season, theoretically having only happened in someone's head because she walks in to find a character that she believed had died, suddenly coming out of the shower and wondering, oh, what's been going on? So as the entire last season, something that took place while she was in a coma, perhaps while she was in a dream, it's a, it could be a direct nod to Archer because as I think you've mentioned before, often RBW will take gentle swipes at celebrities, at TV shows, at other forms within the medium, not particularly for any reason, just because it's fun to have a dig. And maybe just watched that Archer that week and just thought that was a fun one to drop in. But it is, I don't want to say it's a hacks trick because sometimes it'll have been used to great effect. And I certainty don't want to like cast Archer with that brush because from everything I've ever read and certainly the links to Arrested Development, Archer seems like a show of, of fine renown. Um, but there is a certain hacks trick reputation around the coma, around that it was all a dream trope. And it strikes me that that's why that particular thing was applied to something to flip would maybe contribute to the conversation. 
Yes, I think the only person I've ever heard pull off the notion of the fact it was all a dream is the notorious B.I.G. Michael, and that <laughs> was a, that was a perfect fit. But I think that's for me. That's how I always saw that, and the coma stuff was that literal worst. We always got told that at like in English, it was like the worst thing you could possibly do would be like, mm-hmm. and then he woke up and it was all a dream, and like it kind of comes across. <laughs> The bad, uh, the bad rep that obviously has come with that. I, is Dallas is always the one I go back to. In fact, I even think I remember my English literature tutor at the time referencing that exact moment in Dallas as well, the shower mm-hmm. bit, and uh, it stuck with me forever. And always since then, I remember looking back and going, how many times did I write that during a short story that they asked me to do? <laughs> Spoiler, I think at least once, at least once, probably more than that, I would imagine. Um. We go next to Edward Shiraz Hans. Uh, thank you very much for the question and the comment, Edward. Uh, do the comment first because he said uh, he hopes that we continue past season five because in the words of Henry Fondle, more, more, give it to me. Don't worry about that, Edward. We will be going on. Uh, potentially not with Henry Fondle, but we will be getting to season six next week. But he does have a question. Um, it's a big one, actually, Adam Nicholas. Oh, brother. To you first. He has asked, um, who... And I think he wants a definitive answer, so we're going to have to like stick to our guns. We're going to have to die on a hill here. Who has suffered the most at the hands of Bojack Horseman? I've got the answer. It doesn't even take me half a second to think about this. And the answer, Michael Hamflet, is Adam Nicholas and Michael Hamflet. Uh, <laughs> they have had to suffer the most at the hands of Bojack Horseman while trying to defend him, while trying to support him, while trying to do a podcast about him, while trying to do the thumbnails to go with the podcast about him, while trying to do the stars to go with the goddamn stars, talk a fame about the horse. We try to do every editing podcasts about the horse, watching the show itself, <laughs> keeping tabs on the Bojack Horseman Twitter accounts and so Instagram accounts. We have suffered the most at the hands of Bojack Horseman. I'm only joking, though, of course. I do love, <laughs> I love the suffering that the horse put us through. That sad horse, our favourite talking horse. But uh, to give you a more serious answer, I always come back to this. And I, I remember thinking about it when we did that episode the first time round. And it's not Bojack Horseman, I don't think, no. as much as he would like you to believe that. I feel like the obvious answer, but the answer I'm probably going to stick with for the time being, certainly, it's got to be Sarah Lynn. It, like, for me, it has to be at this point. There's a lot of people who've suffered, a lot of people who've suffered directly or indirectly because of Bojack Horseman. Not a lot of those people are dead. <laughs> Sarah Lynn is dead, and that is too much, man. There is something about um, Sarah Lynn, obviously, being the not just the character that dies sat next to him off the back of a bender when she'd been clean etc 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 but also to the fact that she was in a situation that was um way beyond that of a child when bojack could have been a caregiver so that like a minimum of two occasions bojack failed uh sarah in key moments in her life and there'll have been more like we know through the little clues about the time they spent together um, that there will have been more. So it feels like rather than just several bad exchanges with this cursed talking horse over a period of, let's say, a year together or over the course of a friendship, such as with Diane, um, Sarah Lynn is somebody that was aided onto the wrong tracks through Bojack and never got off them often because of it. It's funny, you know, because one of the only other um, 
character sort of I could think of that like felt as profoundly impacted was Penny. Mm. Um, and I wonder if there's something to the idea that obviously they're both females and the younger the females are when Bojack enters their life and thankfully in Penny's case, nothing else. It's um, maybe going to leave a lasting impression because he's just got power to do more damage at such a young age, mm. whether it's Penny on the boat or if it's Sarah Lynn under the table, that moment of her being terrified under the table um, on the set of horsing around. They're so young and they're so impressionable. And yeah. it's the stuff that Bojack will potentially leave them. What's he say in the car that the quote that you went back to? Like, horrifically damage them forever, or whatever it is. Like, forever's a long time, but it's even longer if it happens when you're younger. Oh, I mean, it's the 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 youth factor and the innocence of youth and the fact that these aren't fully formed, like, in terms of their way of life, in terms of the actual, like, the size of them, ironically. Like, just these are mm. young, young, yeah. girl, young girls essentially, and he's having too much of an impact on them at too young of an early age when they aren't old enough to know better in that way, which is, yeah. uh, it's real tough, that one. And, I, you know, you think about, like, the other one that comes to would spring to mind, I guess, because it's fresh, would be Gina, the actual mm -hmm. physical assault. Like, the first time I can recall that Bojack has ever physically assaulted uh, someone, like a woman in the show, uh, to the point where he's crossed that line. Um, but I can never get past Sarah Lynn for me. Uh, dead is dead, I think, and it's very different. Not dying yeah. changes nothing. Dying changes everything. And very safe to say that while it should have changed everything, he's still burying that one, the skeleton, very much in his closet where we haven't. Mm -hmm. We haven't there. Uh, we haven't had poor, poor Sarah Lynn just, just dead now. And I just, <laughs> it's, yeah. We've and and everything's one. worse. And everything's worse, yeah. <laughs> God damn it. There you go. What a nice happy note that is. Anyway, next question. Next. Thank you for the questions, though, genuinely. I love pondering these big questions about Bojack Horseman because I often mm. wonder if there's something we miss that is under your nose. And I'd like to hear if you have one yourself uh, in terms of uh, who you think has suffered the most, Edward Shiraz hands. Please do let us know at Podcast Horseman. You know the drill. Anyway, we go across to uh, Cameron Beadle next, Michael, who says... Thank, thank you for the question, Cameron. says, in Free Churro, we see Bojack constantly going back to when his mother said, I see you, of course, actually meaning I see you, intensive care unit. But do you think this is also just the central theme of the entire season, given us as Bojack is constantly seeing himself for who he is in this season? From the beginning, not wanting to play Phil, but because he reminds him too much of himself, to the end, looking at himself in his drug-fueled episode and seeing that he needs to make the changes. I think so, yeah. I think that's the the spot-on observation, ultimately, of the season. I guess we, we touched upon it when discussing Bojack's arc as well. Um, every character constantly is trying to see themselves in this um, phony world, like where reality isn't really valued and your true self isn't valued versus the version of yourself that you can put forth and put out to the world. Um, and for too long, Bojack avoided having to make that connection. And we see him still trying to avoid it. That's the brilliance of this theme running through the season is that he places, through Free Churro especially, he places so much importance on being seen and what it is to be seen and the nature of being seen. And yet those drugs 
continue to obscure that those drugs help him forget it's not just about forgetting the physical pain it's about forgetting the emotional pain the failure to effectively grieve the death of his mother the failure to acknowledge that he doesn't like the person that looks back at him in the mirror drugs obscure all of that and that the blurring effects on the shots the the very episode and they're described obviously the episode 11 where after so long of not looking at himself he instead looks at a hundred foot balloon version of himself instead yeah um yeah that's uh, i I think you've absolutely nailed that. Um, and they just were able to use animation, I think, rather brilliantly to mm. visually reflect that as well. I'm not sure that... Um, we always credit Bojack Horseman for getting these decisions right, but in its defence, um, I don't think it's something that maybe non-animation could capture quite as well. You certainly couldn't go literal. You couldn't do a giant no. balloon version of somebody's self and have that visual be quite as powerful. I don't think... I could be wrong. I wait for sure and prove me wrong by making a giant hot air balloon of somebody. But like, I, I don't imagine that visual would be quite as potent. And obviously, it's it's a lot harder to play with screen trickery without it looking a little bit cheap and nasty when when they do it. Um, so I think animation was like the perfect form to express that as well. Well, like I say, I have certainly mentioned it earlier in this podcast. We'll find out on your next birthday when the giant Michael Hanford uh, <laughs> is floating through the sky, and I grab the picture of you staring up at it in complete and utter disbelief as you finally see yourself for who you really are. <laughs> yeah, we might have finished Podcast Awesome by then, but maybe I'll just do a live stream or something when I see that balloon. Yeah. When I see that, and I'll let everybody know. That I'll, I'll put the camera back on self mode and there'll just be floods of tears. But like, it's not great to look at yourself, guys. I think after a while of the podcast being finished by that point, you'll just hear me saying, hello, everyone, and welcome <laughs> to, po- to Podcast Hamlet. And then it's just you floating <laughs> over the sky. <laughs> Every morning when I wake up, welcome to Michael Hamlet's life. Oh God, another day. This. <laughs> we go. I've, uh, we've got a three-part question here from Coleman, uh, Aaron Coleman, Aaron Coleman, ninety-five, very regular contributor. Thank you very much for your questions and comments. He says, "Look, we all knew I was going to pop up with the end of the season review happens. I'm like this podcast version of Erica. First, as always." Um, Nicholas, favourite gag of the season? I know we've uh, ran down some other ones there. He says, usually I think of something clever, but I, I think you might be right here. You can't you can't really top Todd with a massive hand for a head or Henry Fondle, can you? Um, he's got a couple of other things. Do you want to address that first, or should we wrap it all in as well? Uh, no, go on. I'll, I'll, I think we should do it like this, because then I'll, I'll give you quicker answers that way, and then we won't okay. get wrapped up in too much. Out of the ones, I'm going to go with the ones that I've picked from the whole season, I guess. Uh, the list we've just done in this episode. Uh, who am I going to give it to? What am I going to give it to? I mean, do you know what it is? I'll tell you what the one I like the most. It's not the... I guess it is a gag, but it's the setup and it's the importance of it, I feel. is that line that Bojack says in season five, the Amelia Earhart story. No show should have that much talk and TV is a visual medium. Bojack is going through this scathing scathing like take on the fact that he doesn't want to have to learn all these lines and then the very next episode we get free Tura, one of the like landmark episodes of television full stop never mm-hmm. mind just this show and it comes off the bat of that gag them knowing full well that they're going to do this yeah. in the next episode it's just amazing well your segue is perfect as always Nicholas because he's second like uh, many others do I want to talk about free Tura. <laughs> <laughs> This was the episode. This was the episode, and I realised this show is the best thing I'm probably ever going to watch. I like that take specifically because I think we all have that moment with Bojack Horseman, and this was certainly one of them. No show will ever have the balls to do anything like this, especially if you're the G on a character like Beatrice. Uh, great observation, 
um, from our here. The fact that Butterscotch spends two minutes and 20 seconds monologuing Bojack, how hard it is to write a single sentence without realising he is monologuing, not only proves how much of a hack he is, but how self-absorbed he is and how much he really doesn't care about anybody else. It's so inspired that because they do that with all the hacks because, of course, we've got Butterscotch, we've got Herb and we've got Flip. And the point of, I guess, like establishing establishing them as hacks is that they might have something within them that could make them good at this, but they are fundamentally unable to bring that good thing to the surface and instead yeah. we get the rubbish. Some people might argue that's my contributions to Podcast Horseman, but we'll let them decide that. It's the idea I that, like, in, so. <laughs> in Filbert, you have a concept that sort of proves itself to be half decent in terms of a twist by the end. Um, in Butterscotch here with this, with this monologue, his ability to ramble selfishly was far better than anything he could ever commit to the page. And Herb had a dream and really wanted to help his friend. There was a goodness within Herb's motivation and it just manifested in the form of this piece of garbage of a show um, that was like unrelentingly bad, but like came from a, a good place. And uh, yeah, I think like you can't have one without the other. You can't see this hack crap without like finding a diamond in the rough that ultimately is never shined up and exposed to the world. I think it's that dramatic irony that goes with all of those characters where they might well have that diamond in the rough somewhere, but they're just too stupid to figure out what it actually is. Like, <laughs> yeah. they all might have the capabilities of doing it. And even if it was sitting next to them all along and it was under their nose the whole time, they can't find it. And I mean, mm -hmm. you're talking about Herb there. A brilliant example, of course, that he writes, does he write a book at the very end? And then Henry, Henry, uh, <laughs> Henry Fondle, oh, what Henry Fondle? God, I've done it again. Uh, <laughs> Henry Winkler, as it is, I think, who ends up like stealing it and destroying this book because it was so bad. That he <laughs> want that to be the lasting memory of Herb, yeah. like the hack, Herb the hack. Yes, men in Hollywood are hacks, and they're too stupid to maybe even unlock their own potential. Proved again, Michael, because Diane had to unlock Bojacks at the very beginning in season one episode one almost trying to write mm. his book for him because as he proved on numerous occasions couldn't do it himself but yes totally agree and i don't know what it was but there's something about um butterscotch monologuing really felt like them doing a like butterscotch had the potential to do a ulysses type book mm. <laughs> and you know that sort of stream of consciousness yeah. um, and he just he had it and just didn't ever achieve it because no. he was too self-absorbed and too busy worrying about what other people thought. Brilliant. Absolutely yeah. magical. Yeah, thank you for bringing that to our attention. Really good stuff. Um, last question for me, though, for you, uh, comes from regular contributor James Wright uh, at Jim underscore Blade. Uh, thank you for your questions, Jim. Uh, Jim, look at me getting all familiar. Thank you for your questions, James. Uh, the first question, he says, okay, so not exactly season five specifically, but wrap-ups are a bit of a free-for-all, right? Yeah, I agree. So knowing you both from your <laughs> jobs in the real world, can you each pick a wrestler that you would have loved to make an appearance in Bojack Horseman and which animal would play them? That is very interesting indeed. Mm, at the risk of not alienating those that listen to this podcast but aren't interested in our wrestling content that we do for what culture i love wrestlers and i love puns so i could spend all day with this question but i won't because yeah. it would be un it would be unfair and it would keep you yes. up even later having to edit this i've narrowed this down to my favorite current wrestler 
Uh, and congratulations, by the way, to the real-life Jonathan David Good, who has just become a father with his wife, uh, Renee Paketnik. They've welcomed yes. the baby into the world. He is awesome um, in every version of every character he's ever had. Um, and I've gone to the trouble of trying to work all of his, all of the things we know him for into Bojack Horseman. So if you're an AW guy or indeed a CZW guy from his past, you might want to encounter John Foxley. If you're a WWE guy, perhaps you want to meet Dean Hambrose. Or if you're a very lucky lady or now just Renee Paquette herself, perhaps you want to encounter the Kitty Master. <laughs> I can't believe that you've gone from saying, I don't want to alienate everyone, to giving some of the most niche wrestling-related <laughs> patter you probably could have given this question. However, I will suggest that James Wright will be very happy with those answers. So mm -hmm. fair play to you on that. But I'm going to keep it simple. I thought I would actually do the thing you said you were going to do and attempt mm -hmm. to not alienate everyone. And... Because everybody on planet Earth, whether you like wrestling or don't like wrestling or just like Bojack Horseman, everybody knows who Ric Flair is, Michael Hamflit. And mm. Ric Flair would be an amazing peacock person in Bojack Ooh, Horseman, yeah. wouldn't he? Yes. Coming out with all the, all the bells and whistles as a peacock, giving it the woo everywhere he went, and ultimately probably being one of the people who was sitting doing all sorts of bad stuff for Bojack at every house party and enabling him beyond belief. But I won't drag that on any further. Although he says that because question two, Michael, from James Wright, which I thought was going to be a question, but it's actually just him giving you more rules to go with your bit. So I guess we've, kind of <laughs> jumped, we've jumped the shark a little bit here. Hey, see what I've done oh, there. Oh, um, really done. He actually gave his about a few and said ones that you couldn't use. So he said The Rock being a bull, of course, Steve Austin or Randy Orton or Jake Roberts being a snake, Gorilla Monsoon, of course, being mm. one does you need to even say it. He says they weren't allowed as they would just be unoriginal. But he did say, for me, earthquake as a walrus because a shark would be too on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> I think so there that, you go. Seeing this has gone very old school as well, I'll throw in uh, Davy Boy Smith as a jacked personal trainer British bulldog. I could visualise that as well, like with the bulldog's head, but just with these huge bulging biceps. Bad biceps, there you go. So there you are. That's entertaining quality uh, content for at least five of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> And for everybody else who has no idea what we're talking about in terms of wrestling, we're sorry. But this is a multifaceted podcast and we try to, ta to tailor to everyone's needs. Right. Our last question from the uh, Season 5 Comments, Questions and Feedbacks comes from Chris Tamora. Now, I believe at the start of this question, um, we appreciate Christopher goes to the trouble every season in our comments. If you go back through and look through these, he ranks every episode, gives each one a letter grade. Um, and we're always like grateful to see them. You can find all of those letter grades on his uh, on his tweet and in the reply. Um, but he's just left a, um, a comment here rather than a question this time, which I guess is for both of us, but I think this one might be more aimed for me. Um, I believe we noted, uh, I say we, I noted when he recapped <laughs> uh, <laughs> season four that stupid piece of shit was too low in his rankings. Um, of course, Bojack is all about opinions, Christopher. I was a stupid piece of shit for suggesting that you were putting in the wrong place. But he does say in his defence that he's going to go back and watch it again to reevaluate whether or not it's just move up the charts. Um, check out Christopher Mora's reply in the uh, in the at Podcast Horseman Twitter feed. Uh, call out for comments because he's got to the trouble of ranking every episode by letter grade. He's done so. Where, where, where can they find Christopher on Twitter? That might help. That's at Mad Mora X, uh, M-A-D-D-M-O-R-A-X at 
Mad Mora X. Um, find every those every one of those rankings. Chris has done a great job throughout the whole series, and I don't want to sort of tempt or tease out something here, but I think there's probably a nice way at the end of the end of the series overall to put all of those episodes together and see the A's, A pluses, A minuses, B's, etc. So you could have an overall ranking of every single episode of BoJack Horseman. That'll be a nice further end product from all the trouble he's gone to season by season. Christopher, think whatever the hell you like about a stupid piece of shit. We're very grateful for you getting in touch. Yeah, what I think I'd like to see here is that Michael Hampton should now go through all of your rate rankings for season five and give <laughs> his very biased opinions about them because, you know, that sounds like it would work really well. All jokes <laughs> aside, though, we should point out, Christopher, excellent, excellent to read these. We, me, and, me and Michael are always debating between ourselves where we see the rankings of the particular episodes from the seasons. The fact that you have them all here, I'm kind of envious of because it means at the end, when you do compile that list in the end, you're going to know based on your then, specifically then ratings, which ones should be at the top and bottom. And at the end of the day, don't you be afraid, Christopher, to tell Michael to go and fuck himself. Because it's, not <laughs> his, because it's not his list, it's your list. And at the end of the day, it's all subjective, even though I'm pretty sure that I also said you should probably <laughs> re-rank that episode. But hey, let's not forget, it's Michael Hamlet's fault this so you should tweet him oh, something God. nice or something nasty. <laughs> we do love everybody who sent in their questions or indeed just their ponderings for this season. Genuinely, we, had a great, we have a great time doing it. And it's always nice when we get to the end and we get to just hear what people have been talking about and what people want answered from that particular season. But, Michael, I believe that is all of our questions, which that means is it, yeah. that is almost everything done well, this episode all that remains is for us to plug the podcast because you know like you haven't heard enough from us already uh, if you've enjoyed this particular recap or indeed enjoyed any of the episode by episode reviews enjoyed your host or just hated all of it in general i don't mind either way but be sure to give us a follow on social media at podcast horseman and if you want any more from either of your hosts you can also get exactly that on twitter or instagram for me it'll be at it's adam nicholas and for michael Hamlet. It's at Michael Hamflit. Um, you can get us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Overcast, on Acast, on Amazon, pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast. You can get Podcast Horseman. And why not talk yourself horse about a talking horse in those review sections, anywhere where you can leave us a five-star review across any of those apps. We'd really love it. Um, they all get amalgamated somewhere and they put us up in the charts. They get more people to listen to the podcast, which is tremendous. Um, and if you want to leave us a five-star review, we'll be bringing back the Hollywood Talk of Fame, specifically for star ratings in season six, the last season. The last chance you've got to get yourself a very own customised star on the Hollywood Talk of Fame. Um, leave us a five-star review, put a few words in the box. Fool the algorithms into thinking this is the most popular podcast in the whole world, and you too could get your own star. Another one of them coming at the end of next week's episode. And one day we will actually give a star to you too, and uh, it'll be a beautiful day, Michael. But until then, <laughs> um, as we've mentioned before, we'll have to just keep giving them to the listeners and reviewers of this podcast. But before we disappear, I guess, will we give you a synopsis for mm. season six, episode mm. one? <sighs> Holy moly, how have we got that far? I don't know, but let's not question it. Let's just go with it because season <laughs> six, episode one is called A Horse Walks Into Rehab. Bojack checks into Pastiches, a Malibu rehab facility where he grapples with memories of Sarah Lynn's death and his own troubled childhood. So we'll all be very excited to know that in season six, 
it's going to be great and happy and not that <laughs> at all. That sounds really promising, doesn't it? Genuinely, it does sound fascinating, though. And until then, though, if you want to find out what happens on that episode, you will naturally have to come back and find out next week. Until that time, I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. 